Dreams mean everything. They're the stories we tell ourselves. Of what could be. Who we could become. Hello, Dolores. Do you know where you are? I'm in a dream. Tell me, do you know what this dream means? I close my eyes Then I drift away How does this work? Figuring out how it works is half the fun. I fall asleep to dream You're one of them, are you? My dreams of you You're not real. Have you been dreaming again, Dolores? Go to sleep, everything is all right. Hello, welcome to this new podcast called A Westworld Podcast Bullets, Brothels, and Bots. I am one of your co hosts, Philip, from the state of New Hampshire in the US of A, and with me in the state of Michigan. This is Eric. Eric, how are you, sir? I am well. Excellent. And in the state of New York? Hey, this is Mad Dog Mike. How you doing there, Phil? Oh, yikes. Hi, <laughs> right, folks. This is Mike. Let's see. Let's do a little introduction, uh, because some folks, even though uh, they may know us from other podcasts that we do, uh, we may have new listeners, because uh, it's a brand new show, and people may be searching on Stitcher and iTunes and whatnot for podcasts about uh, the HBO original, well, not original series, but HBO uh, reimagining series of Westworld. Um, so, uh, Eric, why don't you introduce yourself? Let folks know a little bit about yourself. I know you do three other podcasts, or, or <laughs> t- yeah, three other podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> Holy cow, I do, don't I? Uh, yes, my name is Eric. I guess I am a podcast host extraordinaire. Uh, there's a podcast that I produce and publish myself, a general interest podcast called the Escancity Podcast, which I have my ho- co-host Dan on me with a almost weekly basis with the occasional skip. Um, and then uh, with these kind gentlemen here that we're doing this podcast with, I also co-host uh, the Dark Discussions podcast, which is a long-time running uh, podcast about horror and other genre material um, that has been going for over five years now. Woohoo! Uh, and then we also have a seasonal spinoff of that show about the HBO series Game of Thrones which we call You Know Nothing, Jon Snow, and is on at the same time that the series is on, which is not right now. Um, so, yeah, that is who I am, and those are the shows that I co-host. All right, very good. And, uh, Mike, what about yourself? I'm an overweight, middle-aged New York science teacher posing as a podcaster. Uh, I have also <laughs> been co-hosting the Dark Discussions podcast for over 250 episodes. Yes, we've been on for five years, but on a regular basis you know i've known some podcasts around for six or seven years or up to like episode 30 (laughs) 
So we are a regularly broadcast podcast. If you haven't heard, haven't heard before, please check us out. We do, again, uh, all things uh, horror, fantasy, science fiction related. Um, and I also do the You Know Nothing Jon Snow podcast. And I also have now uh, joined up with the uh, Brothels, sorry, no, Bullets, Brothels, and Butts, a Westworld podcast, uh, because it's a very good year to be Yul Brenner. Yeah, that's true. And Mike, you do a genre blog too, don't you? Yeah, I also have a blog that I, uh, I update once in a blue moon, and uh, it's called Unnatural Selections. That's unnaturalselections.com. You could do it all as one word or hyphenate it. Either one works. All right, very good. Uh, yeah, and uh, as I said, I'm co-host Phil, or Philip, and I do uh, both the Dark Discussions podcast and the You Know Nothing Jon Snow podcast with these two fine folks here. And I am a uh, sometimes author, or at least try to pretend I'm a uh, published author. I actually have a new book out called Pentagonal Sextet. It's actually uh, myself and five other authors. Uh, Pentagonal means five stories, and Sextet means six authors. So there's six of us that have written five stories each uh, that I am in the table of contents with uh, some fine folks. Uh, Eric S. Brown who is famous for the Bigfoot War books and his uh, movie out based off of uh, those novels. Uh, he has uh, five stories in the book. Uh, Gregory L. Norris, who is a screenwriter. He wrote uh, screenplays for uh, Star Trek Voyager. Uh, among other authors, including myself, would be Sarah K. Fowles, Fowles uh, D.B. Poirier, and E.G. Smith. Uh, the book can be purchased uh, on ebook. Or uh, trade paperback. Uh, once again, it's called Pentagonal Sextet. Uh, I recommend, uh, not just because of my five stories, but the other 25 stories are fantastic as well. And you can find it at Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and whatnot, uh, anywhere online for that matter. Uh, and so. um, what were your other books? You had Cairo Mad 2? Oh, yes, yeah, yeah. So Cairo Mad 2, I have a short story in that, which uh, shares the table of contents with such authors as. Uh, Gary Braunbach, um, uh, Jack Ketchum, uh, the, uh, what's his name, uh, uh, the guy that wrote Rambo, uh, um, I forget his, his, the author's name, but, uh, he, he wrote the book that the movie's based off of, uh, and, um, numerous other folks, including, uh, some folks that wrote for the, uh, Twilight series that appeared in the 80s that, I believe, Wes Craven, uh, was Twilight Zone series, not Twilight series. Yes, you're right. Twilight Zone series. Yeah. So uh, a lot, a lot of fine folks in that table of contents. So I, I was able to get in there. Uh, Cairo Mad Two, it's called. Uh, also in uh, Canopic Jars, Tales of Mummies and Mummification, uh, Bugs, uh, uh, Stories that Slither, Creep, and Crawl, um, Anthology Three, it's called, uh, and it has a sub title and i forget that and then i have a couple other stories coming out and some more anthologies in the next few months and i'll let folks know about those later very well so uh let's see uh why are we doing this podcast uh anyone want to answer that question (laughs) because i have a sad and lonely life (laughs) i like to answer but uh uh yeah so hbo is coming out with a new series called westworld uh which is inspired by a movie from the 70s uh, that was written directed by Michael Crichton. Um, I'm 
not quite sure what the inspiration was for them to take on that project. We have not seen the show yet, so we are kind of taking a leap of faith by uh, making the decision to do a podcast about this show uh, once it comes on the air. Um, <laughs> it's going to kind of suck if we all hate it, but oh well. Here we go. This will, this will be this. I was going to say it would be the shortest lived podcast ever, but I think I think iTunes is littered with remains of one and two episode podcasts. So, so tonight we're going to be discussing the original Westworld movie from 1973, as well as the sequel, Future World. And little bonus material: I can review the pilot of the West Beyond Westworld TV series. Okay. Oh, very good. Yes. Um, so yeah. So this is a. Uh, basically a podcast on the hbo series however uh we decided to start with its roots because the series doesn't come out until october and we're recording this uh last week of september as an intro to the podcast so folks maybe find us uh before the season starts um uh let's see let's let's discuss a couple of things uh before we we do that about the the original material um, and what this show, who runs it and all that, uh, you can find us, darkdiscussions.com. That is the website to use for, uh, this podcast and also dark discussions podcast on the Facebook, uh, pages. Uh, it's called the, the dark discussions podcast, Facebook group page. Uh, and you can find us at dark discussions at AOL.com. If you want to email us and, uh, again, we are called Bullets, Brothels, and Bots, a Westworld podcast. But we're uh, under darkdiscussions.com. Uh, Phil, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm assuming you're going to set this up the same as the You Know Nothing Jon Snow podcast, so it'll appear under the Dark Discussions feed as well as its own feed? That's exactly right. Yep, absolutely. Okay. So uh, I'll have a, the, the – actually, you just search on iTunes or Stitcher – for either Dark Discussions Podcast or or um, Bullets, Brothels, and Bots Podcast. And uh, you'll find us under both feeds. So um, uh, just go to either one and, and search for us. Or you could listen to us directly off of darkdiscussions.com. Um, so, yeah, Michael Crichton, right? This is uh, his baby. Uh, he created it all. Um, he decided... Um, he wanted to be a director and they weren't allowing him to direct unless he did science fiction because at that point in his career he was well known science fiction author and so he came up with this idea some people say it was also the germination of Jurassic Park because uh, it's the same thing where it's like a theme park uh, related to science fiction um so he's he's the man behind it. He's probably my favorite modern author. I, I know he's he's passed now, and um, he's probably more well known for this from 1970s to the 2010s. Um, but um, he would be the guy I, I enjoy uh, the most of probably all modern authors. Um, the TV show is uh, actually being um, run by uh, Jonathan Nolan. Jonathan Nolan is the showrunner. He's the guy that uh, co-wrote or or wrote himself pretty much all of Christopher Nolan's uh, scripts for his movies because he's, guess what, the brother of Christopher Nolan. Um, so that's that's who's running this show. So that, that has some um, 
I guess that's good news because he's. It is good pretty, news. Yes. Yes. Yeah. He's also he was also the I, I believe the the creator and showrunner of uh, the series Person of Interest on CBS, which is I think it just wrapped up its four or five year run. Um, it has its fans, but it's another show that was about artificial intelligence. So this is clearly something that he's got an interest in. Oh, I didn't know that. I, I'm not even familiar with that show. I don't watch too much television, um, television shows itself. So I didn't even know. Uh, is it any good? Have you seen that show? I think I only saw like the pilot, uh, and I didn't continue watching it. From what I understand, I think starred Jim Caviezel, uh, who played Jesus in Passion of the Christ. Yeah, yeah. He's good uh, and, and by the way, if I'm completely wrong about this, that tells you everything you need to know about the homework we do beforehand. Um, and with, uh, the guy who played Ben Linus on Lost, and I'm, uh, Michael Emerson? No. That sounds right. Okay. And it's, uh, basically, because it's a TV show, they solve crimes. Um, doesn't matter if they were milkmen, they would be solving crimes. But that, I guess Jim Caviezel was recruited that there's a supercomputer that is basically predicting where the next crime will be and that's the beginning of something with ai and i don't know how the story evolves but clearly the ai like i guess gets too big for its britches or something along the way i don't know but uh i said i really i didn't follow it past the first episode but i know some people who really got off on it about let me rephrase that some people who really enjoyed it (laughs) (laughs) Uh, we have to be careful with our words yeah now uh, let me ask you this mike um the two executive producers of the Westworld HBO show are Brian Burke and J.J. Abrams. Most folks know who J.J. Abrams is. So I don't really have to uh, give any detail about him. But Brian Burke pretty much is a movie and television producer. He's done pretty much everything, uh, produced everything that J.J. Abrams has done. Um, but he also was a producer of Person of Interest. And so my question to you, Mike, is do you know if Person of Interest, J.J. Abrams, had any knowledge uh, or um, interaction with, or was this just a Burke uh, production, and, and, my, and my, that's how he and Nolan became buddies. So so it's like Burke is the guy that brings Abrams and Nolan together, in a sense. I don't think Abrams had anything to do with it, but again, I could be wrong. But even with Lost, my understanding is basically J.J. Abrams gets the idea for the show, sets it up, lets it go, and then washes his hands of it and moves on to whatever his next project is. <laughs> so... Like, he was, you know, very uh, central in, in the, the planning of, like, say, Lost, maybe, certainly, and is filming his first episode. But basically, after the first episode, and certainly after the first season, he basically passed it off to Lindelof and Cuse to, to do whatever it is they were going to do with it. Um, I don't know how much he's, you know, occasionally probably checked in, but he was doing well in the ratings and making him a fortune, so why ruin a good thing? Very well. Um, now the series uh, has some pretty pretty big names behind it, uh, or I should say, in front of the camera. Um, uh, Academy Award winner Anthony Hopkins, Academy Award nominee Ed Harris, um, uh, bright young starlet Evan Rachel Wood, uh, and a number of uh, fairly other uh, well-known character actors and actresses like uh, James Marsden and Sandy Newton uh, and uh, Jeffrey Wright. Um, also, um, the thing that was interesting about the show is that it was originally supposed to premiere in 2015, but there were some issues with, um, either money or, um, they, they were having like 
it was just we don't know. No one really knows. <laughs> they used what all happened. the money for Game of Thrones. <laughs> it's possible, and and so it, they had, they had to get all Jamie's on, rubber muscles. Then that was expensive. It actually went into hi- hiatus for a good two to four months earlier this year, before they went back to uh, finish it up, and then out of the blue, about a month ago. Uh, or two, or maybe a little longer than that, two months ago, they announced that it was coming in October. Um, so for a while there, it was, people were thinking that it was one of those productions that was never actually gonna see the light of the day. Um, but it appears it's gonna come out six episodes for season one. Um, uh, I'm hearing yeah. mixed the different things though. I'm now hearing ten episodes. I have no idea how many it's actually gonna be. The oh. credits on IMDb list ten episodes. Oh. All right, there you go. So, um, it's oh yeah, you're right. Here it is. It's been updated. Yeah, uh, the last time I looked, which was last week, it was only six episodes, and now um, it's ten. Uh, that's my that's God. What kind scary. of a commitment have you dragged me into, Phil? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It looks like we're we're going into December. Yeah. Oh, how about that? Right, right, you've ruined my holiday shopping season. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Um, now, uh, a couple other things. Uh, Jonathan Nolan directs the, the first episode. Uh, he wrote uh, the first, uh, co-wrote the first two episodes with uh, someone named Lisa Joy. Um, and yeah, Lisa that's all Joy I got. Nolan. I'm guessing it might be his wife. Oh, okay. There you go. I did not know that. Um, so yeah, there you go. It's so, not just for Rob Zombie. <laughs> nope, I guess not. Um, so, what did you guys think? Uh, any further information on the Westworld series that's coming up? Or Michael Crichton? The only thing I want to say is this: is um, pretty much when Ed Harris's name was was announced, everyone I don't know if this was how it was announced or if everyone just jumped to the conclusion that he would be basically playing the the Yul Brenner role in Westworld. Mm-hmm. And whatever he actually is playing, he's apparently not playing a bot; he is playing a human. So, really? yeah. Because his character is listed as the man in black, and that was who Yul Brenner was, and he was a robot. Yeah, so he's not a robot. And well, that, part makes of the very pre- little, that makes very little to no sense. Well, because part of the premise of the series is that it is focusing on the robots themselves. And so it's sort of flipping the script a bit. Mm-hmm. And that's going to change, I think, how, who, how they want you to see who the, the heroes and villains of the series are. And I don't want to go say too much more about it because I'm, I haven't seen it yet. I'm going by a, a review and an article. Um, and I don't want to, my main thing is I don't want to get people anticipating one thing and then disappointed because they get something else. Yeah, no, okay. that's a fair, that's a fair point. I mean, I'm, I'm already wondering if Anthony Hopkins is there only for the one season, you know, similar to like a Sean Bean in, in game of Thrones, spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, we're seven years later, six years later, so I don't care. Um, so I, that, that'll be curious to see that. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Uh, uh, what? Yeah, I don't know. That's all I got to say. Yeah, and I, I watched Westworld, the film, like two or three years ago. Uh, first, was that your first time? No, well, it was my first time since I was a kid. Okay. And I don't know how you would define kid. Uh, it was before college. Probably yep. middle school or late elementary school, um, and I did think that it was a really interesting world that was worth kind of exploring. Now I don't remember if 
I watched it knowing that they had started or talking about doing a, a TV series. Or if it was just kind of coincidence I started watching it around that time. Um, but then, so I don't know. If, in other words, I don't know if I'm saying I had the brilliant idea to turn it into a TV series first, or if it was the fact that there was a TV series being based on. I said, yeah, I could see how this is expanded. But I did really think there was a lot more possibility to that world that, unlike, say, oh, Jurassic Park, which I find um, fun because it's dinosaurs eating people, but there's not a whole lot to say in it other than dinosaurs like to eat people. Which is all it really needs to say. Right. Yeah, no, that, that's a fair point. Uh, maybe maybe this one hasn't been picked up until now because, guess what? It, it seems like it may be the most expensive uh, production in history for television. So, it you know, never mind the actors they had to pull in. That probably cost some money, too. But uh, the special effects and all that. So, uh, to do it right, it would cost a lot of money. And so maybe that's one reason why it um, hasn't appeared until now. Uh, though, I guess, you know, Jurassic Park, Jurassic World, whatever, um, since it's an easier plot, you know, like you said, Mike, dinosaurs eating people, you can just do two-hour movies with no issues. While a Westworld, like, for example, this movie that we're going to talk about tonight, uh, was fairly short, and I could see it easily of having been had it out for another half hour to 40 minutes if they really wanted to make it more than just a, a cool science fiction film, um, and I think that's what they're going to do now with the, this this television series. Yeah, I anticipate the TV series getting way deeper than the original movie. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, uh, what are your guys' opinions of uh, the creator, the the man himself, Michael Crichton, the, the original behind it all? Um, were you guys ever fans of his books, his work? Uh, I generally have not read very many Crichton books. I just see the adaptations of his stuff. Uh, and I usually like those, so I'm sure I would like the books as well. What about you, Mike? I kind of remember reading The Andromeda Strain for, I think it was Mr. Perry's class in 8th grade. Um, that was probably my first exposure to Crichton. Um, I remember reading a lot of his other stuff. I didn't read everything he did. But I remember reading a bunch of Jurassic Park, obviously, before the film was out. Um, Congo, Sphere. Uh, in fact, yeah, I have to say, most of his stuff that I, I read before I ended up seeing the film version of it. And then most of them I ended up being really disappointed in the film version. Um, I'm trying to remember what else he did. I didn't read any of his later stuff, like what was it, Prey? Yeah, Prey, Next... Um, those were like two of his last books that that um, were bestsellers, and, uh, and they were both really good. Uh, Prey was technology, and uh, next was um, uh, genetics. Okay. And then, then he had a state of fear, which had to do with the, uh, global warming, airframe, right. airframe, which had to do with the corruption of the uh, the air, air industry. Uh, not just the, the not the air industry themselves, but but the people who make the planes and, and all that stuff. Um, um, and I don't know if he's the one you could argue that he created, but he certainly uh, popularized. I think the techno thriller, um, yeah. 
you know, taking yeah, just, just taking a, some segment, which is you know what a lot of science fiction does, but just taking some aspect of technology, leapfrogging into the very near future, and spinning a whole lot of stuff. He, he had very strong political points of view. I'm um, guessing from the the global warming book that he was more of a right wing point of view, but nevertheless, your whatever your political positions are, he had ideas I think that are worth chewing on and thinking about. Uh, even if they all end up in terrible doom and disaster for the entire world, because the the stories where everybody lives happily ever after aren't usually uh, the big sellers. Somebody invents the cure for cancer, and we all died happy. The end. You know, it doesn't really make yeah. for a compelling film. And a lot. And I do get think that as a writer, he's one of these writers. I don't know if he was trying to or just his style. If everything he wrote felt like it was being written as a film. Yeah. I can see that. Right, yeah. it's all very, very cinematic, um, and very driving. Now, again, that could just be the, be his style and how it reads. That just leaps off the page and grabs the viewer or grabs the reader. I now I have to see this as a movie, or if it was more cynical of, gee, if I write this as a book, I can get a ten million dollar payday bonus. Uh, get Spielberg to make the dinosaur film. You know, I don't. So I don't know what it was with him. I'd seen him speak a couple of times on like C-SPAN and be interviewed on, on things like that. And I think he's a really interesting guy, had interesting ideas, whether, again, you agree with them all or not. Um, but, yeah, I, I would certainly say if you have any interest in any of his films, the books are all better, especially in the case of Congo. The book is immensely better. Um, that is one of the worst big-budget movies I've ever seen. Yeah, he's, um, yeah, you're right, Mike. He may not have been the inventor of the techno throw, but uh, I think I think he may have been the one that, that pushed it and, you know, similar to, like, Stephen King brought horror to, you know, bestseller mainstream list. I think Crichton was the guy that did the same with uh, techno thrillers, and you could argue, um, uh, in, if not invented, it made it his own versus, say, Stephen King, who obviously horror is horror, but techno thriller is, is a, like you said, it's a combination of, like, horror, thriller, and science fiction and, and it's kind of interesting um and, and then then uh a couple of things about his political views he's definitely a voice that would is missed just for the fact that he had uh, a different perspective than what you would normally think of someone in his position so it was always interesting to hear what he had to say so i, I could see how those c-span interviews that you saw mike were really really interesting because um his voice was definitely different than a lot of folks that um, would be in his position. Um, and, um, uh, yeah, he he, uh, he was uh, the only person in history I read that had the number one television show, the number one movie, and the number one book all at the same time, uh, which was kind of interesting because he, he was the creator of ER, um, Jurassic World, or not Jurassic World, Jurassic Park, the first movie and then whatever novel he had out at that time were all number one on TV, the theaters, and on New York Times bestsellers list. So, uh, kind of amazing. Um, and he was always uh, good friends with Spielberg. That's why Spielberg was able to do Jurassic Park films because when he came to Hollywood as a young lad after uh, leaving um, the medical field, because he's a, a doctor, um, he went to LA. Uh, they brought him out there, and they had him go on a tour of the studio, 
And the person that took him on the tour was an unknown director at the time named Steven Spielberg. And from that point, when neither of them were household names or even known, uh, they had become friends as uh, young kids before they became huge stars that they became. So it's kind of interesting. Um, any further things about uh, Mr. Crichton? No, I think we can jump right into uh, into yeah, the, the films. Yeah, all right, let's do that. Let's do that. Um, um, yeah, my experience with the films is, is a little different than I think you, you two, because I, I never bothered seeing either of the films uh, until this week. Um, really? Wow. Yeah, yeah, and the reason for that is is that it's an interesting thing. I when I was a kid, I never enjoyed westerns, and um, that changed. There was all, there was one western I always did like though it was the, uh, Josie Wales, um, but the next western that I, I became interested in after that was the uh, Unforgiven, another Clint Eastwood film, and then after that I started going back watching all the Clint Eastwood westerns and said, oh, these are awesome, and. I, so I, I just assumed that Westworld had something to do with the West and not science fiction or thrillers or techno thrillers. So I always just avoided it because of that. And by the time I got into Westerns, I had kind of forgot it all about the Westworld movie anyway, because, uh, you know, it hasn't been really released on a new fancy DVD or anything or Blu-ray. And so it kind of just got disappeared in a sense, even though it was a, a well-made and... Um, highly successful film and the other thing that was interesting too is that even though it was written and directed by one of my favorite authors i didn't even know he was really involved in it i kind of did but i never really paid attention too much about it so um yeah i i didn't know i, I had no idea what any of the what westworld even meant until about two weeks ago or, or not two weeks ago i'm sorry uh, about two years ago when i started hearing about this television show and then mike you pretty much helped me out with some information on it uh, before I even watched the movies about two weeks ago when we did one of the Dark Discussions podcast episodes where I asked you what the premise was. And it seems actually pretty interesting. Uh, so, yeah, so I, I just watched the films uh, this week, first time. Um, what about you, Eric? Uh, well, uh, back before I actually discovered any of the dedicated horror podcasts, I used to listen to a podcast called Film Spotting. Uh, which is a movie podcast in general. Um, and they were talking about, um, they were actually talking about, uh, the Seventh Samurai, uh, and made a reference to the Magnificent, Se- Magnificent Seven, uh, which led to a brief conversation about Yul Brenner, uh, and Westworld was mentioned in there. So I checked out the Magnificent Seven and Westworld, uh, pretty close to each other about, oh, I don't know, 10 years ago. Um, and like them both, uh, never bothered to check out future world, uh, until this week. Um, I didn't even realize it was a direct sequel to Westworld, but it is. Um, so yeah, I didn't watch that until this week, but, uh, yeah, I, I like them both like Westworld more. Um, and as we get into it, it's, uh, it's a movie that, uh, that left a mark, even though a lot of people probably don't realize it. All right. And, uh, Mike, what about yourself? Like a lot of things, um, I suspect this all goes back to my parents. Um, my parents aren't film buffs by any means, but they I learned a lot of what I know about films or, or learned of certain films when I was young, because this came out in 1973. So I was, uh, 
two or three years old, depending on what exact date it came out, and probably still shitting myself. So <laughs> some things haven't changed. Um, but uh, so I didn't know anything about. I'm, I'm wondering where I knew because I, I I can't remember not knowing the image of the gunslinger, mm-hmm. the Yul Brenner figure. And I remember going. Well, it's we probably start- from the Magnificent Seven, right? You could have got it from there too, because they're supposed to look alike. Maybe because my, fo- but I I know it. I knew the image of the gunslinger consciously associated with Westworld for pretty much most of my life before I'd seen the Magnificent Seven um, or realized that's who it was. And I knew knew Ovil Brenner from other things, but it's I'm guessing it might have been. Uh, when I was about five, we started taking an annual trip down to Orlando, and before Orlando had 950 theme parks, they basically had Disney World and a bunch of sideshow attractions. And one of the ones that my parents loved to go to was there was a, a, a Hollywood wax museum, and I think they had a Yul Brenner from Westworld. I think the Gunslinger was in there, and that's and the, that's probably where I first learned of it. If I remember correctly, that's you know, and which is by the way where I learned of a whole lot of old films was from that wax museum, um, like the Ben Hur chariot race and a few other things. So I, I just, at some point I watched it, and I don't remember anything about it. And then a couple of years ago I got because it was cheap, I got the Blu-ray, um, and I rewatched it, and I didn't really care for it because it felt to me like it was kind of slowly paced and it wasn't that exciting. And then rewatching it this weekend, for some reason, I enjoyed it a lot more. So I don't know if I was just in a better mood this time that I watched it, or you know, if I was in a worse mood the last time I watched it. I don't know which is the more accurate representation of the film, but uh, I'm sticking with no. I like this whole film a whole lot more on my you know second watch or adult watch. Um, and I'm glad I rewatched it because it held up tighter. And uh, how's that Blu-ray, Mike? Is it is it a good 2D version? It's an okay Blu-ray. There's no commentary track. There's about a 10-minute behind-the-scenes making of with Michael Crichton that's from 1973. Like, you know, it was one of those uh, things that – fluff pieces that would have been made in the industry or, you know, run in theaters or something. I don't know where they would have seen it because there was no internet back then. Um and it has the first hour episode of the Beyond Westworld TV series that came out in something like 78 or 79 and lasted like four or five episodes before being canned. And so I watched that and that was really cheesy. And, <laughs> and it has, you know, very, very late 70s action thriller sort of music that you could have heard in, so you know, kind of the, like the Incredible Hulk. It's like the Incredible Hulk or okay. the, the Six Million Dollar Man. Or and it's you know they've got these two people a man and a woman uh, who have to track down the robots who are trying to take over the world that are controlled by the evil mastermind doctor or something begins with a Q um, you know it, so it all ties back to Westworld it begins with Westworld being destroyed uh, there is a gunslinger but obviously they couldn't bring back Yul Brenner uh, but they did bring back the rattlesnake they did bring the <laughs> rattlesnake back. <laughs> uh, okay. Apparently, he fell on hard times, and he just needed the money. So, yeah, those rattlesnakes are sellouts. Yeah. So, yeah, the first episode is just them um, infiltrating a nuclear submarine. What? 
They infiltrated okay. the robots infiltrated a nuclear submarine. There's really yeah. shitty security in nuclear submarines. <laughs> now, uh, what, what, let's uh, do uh, an explanation, Mike. You, yeah, exactly. I mean, Mike, before we, I mean, I guess not just for the films, but the series, anything to do with the whole idea of Westworld. What, well, what is Westworld? The, the, the broad background is that Michael Creighton visited Disneyland or Disney World, saw the Pirates of the Caribbean ride. And got the idea of, well, what if these were a little more real than these marionettes I'm watching? And so he conjured up the concept of Westworld. Well, actually, of this, of this island place called Delos, where that was divided into originally three sections, Westworld, Medieval World, and Roman World, that you could choose and go on a vacation to for the low, low price of one thousand dollars a day, and that's, you that's can, still expensive even today. Even though the, you know, this yeah, is but still not nearly expensive enough, even nineteen seventy three money to cover the cost of doing what they did. <laughs> and you could live as if you were living in the old west or ancient Rome or medieval times. And this is before, I guess, rent fairs were a thing. Um, and everything was done by robots. So if you wanted to kill somebody, you could kill kill a robot, or you could stab it in other ways. Um, you could have relations. You could have relations with the robot. Oh, or, and, and, and by the way, <laughs> Mike, you were, you were, you brought this up offline jokingly, uh, but on the IMDb page here for, for Westworld, uh, you know how they have trivia and then they have goofs? Yeah, uh, one of the goofs they list they list here is in the Western Resort, the guns have a heat sensor which makes them impossible to be fired at a guest who would be warm blooded. The robots are not. Without body heat, the quote interactions with Miss Carrie's girls would be somewhat uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, there are there are certainly logical problems with Westworld as an institution. Um, and there's probably even more logical problems with Roman world and uh, medieval world that we'll get to. Nevertheless, this is a thing of you 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 go in buying the premise, right? That's the that's the idea. You have to go in buying the premise. If you're going to challenge the premise, don't watch the movie. I'm assuming. Right, um, I'm assuming uh, the TV series, the new one that's coming out. Uh, will probably fix a number of these ideas that were um, issues in the two movies because obviously the two movies are only an hour and a half each. Uh, this here, they can go into a, probably a whole episode of exposition before they even get into you know episode two, three, four, who knows. Well, so, we'll find out. Yep. Yeah. Send out a link on Facebook uh, on the message page about an article. Uh, I don't remember who wrote the article. But it looked at the legalese behind Westworld. I guess the contract that you're supposed to sign before you oh, become. Oh, funny. And they just sort of break down all the various and go th- and they nitpick it in, in a tongue-in-cheek, very having fun with it sort of way. Um, I don't want you to think that they were they were being too snotty about it. But looking at all the uh, legal disclaimers that you have to sign at Westworld and all the things that could possibly go wrong. And for which, you know, they will not be held legally responsible for. Uh, it was from Slate. It says, uh, Westworld's terms of service are absurd, was the name of the article. 
Yes, one of the things that they are not responsible for is if you die of autoerotic asphyxiation. Yes. <laughs> um, and this is alluded to as much as they could in a PG-1973 film, and, it's mu- and they're going to be relying on it much more heavily because it's, it's HBO on the TV series, and if you've seen Game of Thrones, <laughs> um, where half the first season seemed to be set in a brothel, uh, where people are going there to partake in all sorts of pleasures. And when you're living in a world that we're living in right now, you know, you can go to a legal brothel in Nevada. Not a problem. So exactly what do you want to be partaking in that you're going to spend $40,000 a day to partake in a brothel in a fantasy setting? Because I'm pretty sure you could get, like, you know, for a $2,000 night, the girl will wear a cowboy getup. It's not going to be a problem. Um, what are you having sex with and how are you having sex with them? Um, or who are you killing and how are you killing them? Uh, so they're probably getting into some more unsavory tastes. And you start getting I, – like, I started getting a sense of that in, in Westworld with one of the guests – um, but yeah, so it's the ideas that's catering to you. And then of course, in order to make it dramatic, instead of just, you know, a weird kinky fetish film, uh, the robots, oh, you know, go, go bad. And it's Michael Crichton basically gives the first on-screen definition of a computer virus I can think of, uh, that the, the machines get sick, it spreads throughout the system and the, and the robots turn on the guests. And everything goes to hell. Uh, that's your that, premise. Yeah, and that's the basic premise of Westworld. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's right. Uh, um, so sounds pretty simple, but it's pretty cool. Actually, I didn't think about it. Uh, um, and we've seen things like it ever since, including uh, we, we got the, the new series coming up. So, yeah, um, and from my understanding, you take that premise. You flip it around and and put in a blender with Ex Machina, and that's basically what the you, new you series mean, you is. Mean, you mean the, the movie Ex Machina? The movie Ex Machina, right. You, you, that's basically the, the premise of this new series, is that it's looking at it more from the, um, from the robot's point of view as they're developing some sentience and awareness and perhaps so, some resentment at the way that they're being treated. Dolores Abernathy does dream. That's the one of the lead characters of the new TV show, uh, played by Evan Rachel Woods, based off of what I saw in the trailer. It's showing that the robots do have uh, or may have sentient intelligence and are becoming, quote-unquote, alive, in a, even though they're mechanical. And uh, I think that's what you're, you're trying to imply there, right, Mike? Right. So... All right, very good. All right, so um, let's uh, let's get into uh, these these films then, right? Um, um, so it appears that uh, everybody liked the films, uh, at least the first one for sure. I know Eric, you said you liked both of them. I, I thought both of them pretty good too. Um, well, let's uh, let's talk about, I guess, the premise, right? We, I mean, we generally well, when I say premise, I, I mean the characters. I mean, obviously, there's uh, two guys in the first one that decide to go on this trip uh, to Westworld um, based there's off a, of... 
<laughs> Mike basically just gave his premise a, and a, the little blurb on IMDb here for Westworld says, a robot malfunction creates havoc and terror for unsuspecting vacationers at a futuristic adult-themed amusement park. And uh, the two leads that we follow um, are, I believe, are from Chicago. Uh, one of them is a lawyer, um, and uh, I forget the actor's name offhand. Uh, anybody know his the the lead's name offhand? Which Richard Benjamin? Yeah. Uh, no. Uh, oh, no. Was it, yeah. Was it Richard Benjamin? He's the, he's the guy that uh, was the lead, mustache right? guy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he was he was. Uh, the lead, and then um, James Brolin, his, his buddy James Brolin, uh, who uh, basically it's a guy's trip, a wealthy guy's trip to uh, this, uh, I guess, uh, weird vacation or exotic or erotic, depending on how you want to look at it. Um, and they choose Westworld rather than the other two. However, we do have some other minor characters that we follow as well. I mean. His older man and his wife who go to uh, Roman world, I mean, not Roman world, but medieval world um, and such. And then based off of the first five minutes, uh, which I heard was added after by Crichton, uh, which is a, a news reporter is interviewing people coming back from um, this West world, this future world, West world, whatever world. Um, and how it's great and it was wonderful and it was worth the money and it was a thousand dollars a day, but I wish I could have gone and stayed for three weeks and on and on. So based off of that, we get a general idea that it's fairly popular, um, throughout the world. Um, and then there's some other things too where, uh, they ship the people over to this world, which is in the middle of like the desert. Um, I, I got the idea that it was, Somewhere in the like Nevada or something. Did, did where did you guys think it, it this world was supposed to be? I, I was thinking Nevada. I'm not sure. I thought the whole thing was was uh, fake wherever they were. Because didn't they walk directly from Westworld into Roman world or medieval world? Yeah, but, yeah. but what it was is they had a they. It was almost like what Disney did in Orlando, where they they just bought up all this land. Uh, and this company, Delos, bought up all this land in the middle of the desert and built their theme park in the middle of the desert. And then they shipped people there using hovercrafts. And when you get there, then you um, get on these little trains, uh, or not even trains, but um, like golf cart type things, and and head over to one of the three worlds, depending on which you chose. Um, and then you go into a locker room, you change into uh, clothing that represents that time period. You get to choose um, what type you want. So if you're a woman, you can you know, have the bar wench or you can have the, the damsel in distress or you can have whatever. And then the guy can be the gunslinger or the Indian or whatever. And, uh, and that, that pretty much is it. And then, then it's, there's no tours. You're, you're just on your own. It's kind of interesting. It's just like you just pop into this middle of this world, and there's no um, directions, no tour guide, or nothing. You're, you're, it's like us, me, you, and Mike head into uh, um, Baltimore, Eric, and, and we just show up, and there you go. All right, what, what do we do? Yeah, it's um, it's they're they're constantly monitored. 
probably because they have to, they, they're constantly monitoring the machines. Um, and you have to have a large support staff <laughs> monitoring everything that's going on. And it only seems to me that there's three people in Westworld, right? Three real human beings that we are aware of. Because uh, as James Brolin's character says, that's the beauty of it. You don't know if anyone's real or not, uh, which would probably be a good thing to know before you try to kill them. But yeah, um, yeah. I kind of got the sense on on my on this latest rewatch that Westworld was probably the original world, uh-huh. and that everybody's gone off to the other worlds, and that maybe that's not you know it's sort of like the old ride at Disney, then everyone's rushing to go see the new ride. <laughs> yes, Westworld is the old wooden roller coaster. Right. So that might be why there are relatively few people in Westworld. Um, and there certainly seem to be a whole lot of people in Roman world. What I, what I have to say is, and I don't think this is a case, I'm wondering if this is me being politically correct, but I think it's more a matter of the fact that I'm no longer a lonely nerd. I have a wife. And that is the entire sales pitch for Westworld and Future World and Delos in general is very much aimed at, at guys. Right, come to the old west and go running and jumping and shooting and fighting, and drinking right. and whoring. Yeah, at least the west and, world part. Yeah. And uh, uh, go to the medieval world and joust and have yourself a lusty wench and go to Roman world and do gladiator stuff and more fucking and I don't know. I guess drag your I guess drag your wife along too if you really want to do that. Um, there is one woman that's a live woman at the beginning of the film. Where he said, what was your favorite? Where did you go? I think she went to, I went to Roman world. And what was your favorite part? The men. You know, and that was like, that's it. That's the only, so basically even her says, their, their erections lasted for hours. And that was basically it. Um, so I don't know. It's very much a male fantasy film. Um, I, I'm not sure what, especially before someone starts getting, well, politically correct, this was 1973. You know, there wouldn't have been a whole lot of people dressing up or, or, or thought to market to Calamity Jane types, right? Um, no reason they couldn't be. They didn't mention how people would have reacted if any black people went to visit Westworld. <laughs> um, but you well, assume yeah. that, yeah, because the whole thing's trying to sell an authentic experience. <laughs> and, you know, and they, and that they, they even comment on that when Richard Benjamin complains about the bed. Well, it's supposed to be authentic. So right. you're going to live the same shitty lifestyle that the real people in the West lived. So I imagine there was a real Westworld. Again, this is the don't look too closely at it. That it would be much more guest friendly. That they would be more tolerant of having women doing things other than bearing children. And, uh, you know, not worrying about what the, you know, about having a black sheriff. Which, by the way, Westworld was the same sets they used for Blazing Saddles. Yes. Yes, it was. So... Um, so that was just an odd little thing that kind of passed through. It has nothing to do with the film itself, but it just made me sort of idle about it. Is there, and one thing is that this is just, this would not be my vacation ever. (laughs) I I won't. No, I, I, I hear you, but at the same time, I, I understand where the idea comes from. Oh yeah, no, there were people, I understand this would appeal to some people, but like in ancient Rome, you wiped your butt with a sponge on a stick. (laughs) What? What? You mean you don't? And and it wasn't a disposable sponge on a stick. <laughs> so I, I don't. I, I have. I would have no reason to go to a two week vacation there. They had better stack up on their Sears catalogs in Westworld. Uh, 
Yeah, it's just that I have I've never had any real interest in living in the past. Okay, fair enough. But what about anyway. Future World? I, I would have more interest in Future World. Alright. Alright. Um, what about, what about Futo? Is this something you, you would do? If you uh, if you would what would your world be? Yeah, I see your point. Uh I yeah, I mean uh uh if it became affordable it would be something that would be kind of interesting, I think. Um, I mean, I, I have, I don't, I don't know if, if shooting robe. Well, I guess if I look at the robots as like a video game, it would be okay. But, but I mean, to have a, a thrill of going, like <laughs> I can shoot, you know, that's kind of and kill people. I mean, that's kind of weird. Uh, but again, if I look at it as a video game, I guess it doesn't matter. Um, well, this is really, I think, what's interesting. Jumping out of the film to the TV series, or actually you could say maybe the film presages this, is this is really what all the, like, the big, massive online games are about, or uh, mm-hmm. even if they're just single-player games, you know, do something like a Skyrim or Fallout 4, yeah. um, the idea of putting yourself in a submersive world. And I don't know how you play those games. Well, you know what? If, if there was a world, a fantasy world, I think that would be okay, because then you'd be fighting, you know, it would be like, uh, Conan or something like that, and so I wouldn't feel as guilty, I guess, as if I went to a Westworld and just had to shoot people, I, because it's still people, I mean, it's set up as if it was the US of A in 1880 or whatever, and so I would feel kind of gross killing people, I guess, but if it was a fantasy world, then I, I you know, I, there would be something in the back of me that knows that, okay, it's still phony, but or, or, well, I know it's phony both ways, but at least the fantasy world I would know that you know, it's completely fake. It never would have been there years ago. While it kind of is disturbing that I would want to, if I wanted to go into Westworld, and one of my goals would be to just start shooting. You know, but again, it's, it's a video game, so I, I don't know. It's kind of weird. Well, how do you be, how do you behave? You, you've played like role playing games on video games. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 yeah, exactly. I played both. I played tabletop. Role playing games. I play video game role playing games. And, and Eric, I know you play like your Madden or whatever the, the sports game. Have, have you played when you play video games? Do you play any of the like Skyrim or Fallout? Oh, yeah. or? Uh, not not any of the current shooters. But back in the day, I used to play uh, Soldier of Fortune two. Uh, well, what about and, what about role playing three? Games? Uh, role playing days. I was a D and D guy back in the day. Okay, so I don't know how you how you play. Um, I always, I, no matter what I do, at least my first playthrough on the game, I do what I want, and then if it's not too long a game, I'll play it again and take the opposite choices if it seems like it would have an impact on the game. Mm-hmm. But my first yeah. playthrough, when I do what I want, I almost I always end up going down the quote-unquote good path. Yeah, me mm-hmm. too. And then yeah. I have a hard time when I go the other way of like, oh, I know I saved the whore last time. I don't really, all right, fine, shoot the whore, boom. But I feel, <laughs> I, 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 but I, there's, there's still, I know it's digital images. Right. But I'm not always, I'm often, I'm just not comfortable taking the bad path. And I'll even think, I'll even think back to when I played Goldeneye on the Nintendo 64. There's a, a, a level in that where you escape from being, from the Russians, right? The Russian police have captured you. Mm-hmm. Yep. And they're just, they're, they're Russian cops or guards or soldiers. They're not the evil henchmen. You were breaking the law. You got arrested. <laughs> And you're killing them, and I was like, right. "This just doesn't feel right." Now that it's was like the first. Game. 
I know it was just a game. And after, you know, the 30th time through the level, I didn't give a shit about their families anymore because I knew they would regenerate next time. Um, but Have you but ever there played are Grand some Theft Auto. Right, but there are a lot of people. That's a fair that I think this is what the new series is going to get into. Yeah, that as soon as when they play it, they love to become an asshole, right? They love to play the evil person. Right. And so Westworld would give them sort of that outlet to do that without actually killing people. Yeah, because they they could abuse women without actually killing people. Because they really but they're really just robots. They could shoot and murder and rape, and again, it wouldn't matter because it's just robots. But it well, makes and you that's, question. And that's going to be the that's going to be the interesting part of the TV series. Um, is is they're going to explore more deeply? I hope uh, the the thought of well, what if it's not okay? What what if they're actually uh, if they actually develop into self aware beings? Um, then yet, how is it still justifiable to shoot and and abuse them? But well, that's the thing. Is like, like for example, someone like Roger Ebert, uh, the screen critic. He always would say, no matter what, a sentient robot or a non-sentient robot is still just a robot and it's not alive. So who cares? So oh, you, you I don't could, agree with that one. But I, I'm just saying his his point of view. Um, I do kind of agree with him on that, but I still would think it would be gross if to do. You know those terrible things to uh, uh, something that at least pretended to be human, or in, even if it wasn't. Well, I know. anticipate. Well, I think that it, when I think we're doing this series, podcast, whatever. Yeah, uh, I anticipate that while we're doing this podcast, we're going to revisiting the conversation we had when yeah. uh, reviewing Ex Machina on uh, Dark Discussions, um, because I, I know myself, and I think Mike too have a, a different take on that whole artificial intelligence thing. Yeah, well, I guess you know what it is, Mike. It's also, me and Mike uh, did an early episode of Dark Discussions on the Planet of the Apes, and there was this doctor character in one of those original movies that wanted to kill these apes that came into our world because they, if he found out that if we didn't kill them, then the apes were going to take over the world. And yet, as viewers of the movie, you were supposed to like those apes. But I played the devil advocate when we did that episode, saying, "But maybe he's right." So, and and, and when I, we did the ex machina one, I kind of played the devil advocate too, which is she was going to kill, you know, uh, to escape because she wanted freedom, whatever. And 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 yet, in both cases, whether it's the Planet of the Apes or, or ex machina, in both cases, the end of humanity. Is coming, and I know some people would say, "Oh, that's a good thing." But if if I'm I'm looking at it, I would say, "Well, you know, what? you can't look at those robots as sentient because they're dangerous because they're they don't have necessary feelings as we do. They can be programmed to change to be quote unquote sociopathic." You know, that's what I was saying with Ex Machina uh, when we did that episode. So, it, it, yeah, it'll be an interesting thing. I know this is off topic from what we were talking about, which is, you know, I mean, if you're willing to do it in Grand Theft Auto or Far Cry, which are video games that are very extremely violent and you kill people, um, and everybody loves those video games, at least um, many people who probably listen to Dark Discussions or, or this podcast, for that matter. It's, it seems different, though, when there it, it's almost like a lop 
a live action role playing, even if it is just robots. And you have a point, Eric, which is, you know, if they can think and dream and, and whatnot, it could be considered evil, maybe. Right, and I think I think the I don't think that's the case in Westworld the film. I have an interesting thought about it for Future World. Um, but one of the things I mentioned in Westworld is that the machines have been building their own the machines, and so they right. no longer know what the machines are capable of. And exactly. so then that's what I thought was it's like you just drop this one line there and do nothing with it. Right, and that leaves all this question and this implication of to what degree are these machines evolving and becoming more capable? It, you know, is this malfunction a malfunction? And so, when people ask questions like, uh, for instance, later on in the film, they give uh, Yul Brenner's gunslinger uh, ColecoVision, right? They give it some sort of <laughs> yeah, like, uh, like the Terminator, like the Terminator. Eric right. uh, as as the pre- predates the Terminator, right? Right. Like, so they give him, so they give him that. Well, what's the point of if, if of giving, you know, that vision to a thing that's really propped is just to get there and get shot? Because it's not allowed to win, right? Because its gun can't fire at the human, mm-hmm. which which you know kind of rigs the game. Its job right. is to go in, provoke a fight, and get shot. Yep. So you know, but what until the day it decides it doesn't want that anymore, <laughs> right? When does it get fed up with being shot? Right. Oh well, and, and the thing that's interesting about the first movie is they're programmed to do a certain thing, and then they're not. Re- and when everything goes haywire, they're not. Re- well, at least you, Brenner's character, isn't rebelling. He's just doing what he is supposed to do, which is go after the people that pissed him off and kill him. While the bar wench from the Roman, not Roman, yeah, Roman, no, medieval world. She was supposed to submit to the the Lord, and yet she actually has says no, I don't want to. And so some of them, it appears, was getting sentient and making decisions, while others were just going on what they were supposed to do, which is the Yul Brenner character. Right. Only the safety precautions broke. Yeah, exactly. So he exactly. So there was two things that was going haywire, which was one was the safety precautions broke for some of the robots, and then the other robots were, were um, actually making decisions and and disobeying what they were programmed to do. So there was so you could argue there's two things that happened to the robots in at least the first movie because the first movie there was also the the knight that the black knight that wanted the he was just basically the, the the medieval version of the Yul Brenner gunslinger, mm-hmm. and yet the barmaid she she refused to to, uh, to sleep with the guy or come on to his passes because she had some sort of sentient or, or decision making process that told her no, that's not what I'm going to do, and she wasn't supposed to have that. Man, that guy right. was such a loser that he even got turned down by the robot that was programmed to not say no. <laughs> well, but and he's the guy who's saying, like, I think if you looked at him, you know, he's like the James Brolin character. He's been there before, and he's sort of the the experienced guide for Richard Benjamin. And you know, we're walking him through it, and he's sort of, so Richard Benjamin is our surrogate, and James Brolin is our, our handheld guide to explain the world to us as we travel through it. 
but he's having fun. He's not bloodthirsty about it. He's sort of, let's just take it as it comes, and why don't we go get ourselves a wench at the bar, and he's just relaxing and having fun, and that's, you know, that's a okay guy. The The guy who becomes the king at Medieval World, like, he's a bit of a lech, you know? Right. There was just something, like, you looked at him, there was that look in his eye that I imagine if this movie was made today, which, hey, it's been made into a TV series, that that wench would probably have been, like, 14 years old or something, and he still would have been uh, hitting on her. You know, it's just, there's just something, like, he's just, he's, you know, doing this all this stuff to hit, no, to impress the queen. I wasn't, and I think he was there with his wife or something, and. Yeah, his wife. And, and, and then there's just, when he hits on the wench, it's this look in his eye, he's just so skeevy. <laughs> it really is. Ah. <laughs> uh. Yeah, yeah. And he's, you know, he's like, can I get a younger robot? You know, just... <laughs> Ew. But, you yeah. know, I mean, look, you know, and, and every night, you know, the, the, you know, again, there's, there's questions about how good the illusion is because every night they have to stop the park and wrap everything up. And I'm guessing that they set this really in a place like, you know, New Mexico or Colorado because you can't have it in any place that it rains because the robot short circuit when exposed to water. Um, and, yeah, it just, yeah, it just, it's just sort of a, a creepy thing. I don't know. It's, so, but it's so, like, I have to imagine the worst job is being the person who gets to clean out the whorebots at the end of the night. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, Mike, that makes a, that, that makes a, a, a good point about, um, about this versus, say, a video game, where in a video game, we we can't do everything. We only can do certain things. So you know, you're not going to be able to, um, you know, like like this guy. You said he could could have been a pedophile for Christ's sake. Who knows what he was? You know, obviously, they you can program certain things to prevent that happening. But whether it's a role playing game on a tabletop where you can in theory do anything, or in this case where you can in theory do anything, there is no really boundary. That and things could be broken if if the person is just a, a scumbag, I guess. Right. Well, um, I remember when uh, I think it was Bioware and Mass Effect uh, and maybe even Dragon Age uh, they they start putting in the possibility of home. Oh, actually, going back to Jedi Knight, um, Knights of the Old Republic, rather, they had the possibility of same sex relationships, and there were some people who had trouble with that. Now, there was nothing that you were never forced to have a same sex relationship. You know, right. but certain people being who certain people are, they didn't like the fact that other people could choose to have a thing that they didn't want to do. Yeah, like the new Fallout, you can do that too. Right. So they just got upset that was even an option. Now, that's between consenting adults, but, you know, what would be the legal ramification if, uh, if Bioware said, well, what if we could put in an incestuous relationship for the Game of Thrones, or let's say in the next Telltale Games uh. version of the, the you know, you, for, for they do Game of Thrones, you know, and you get to play Jamie and uh, and Cersei. You know how comfortable. Well, what if they what if they do get into some sort of uh, uh you know a a pedophilia relation? Now I don't know legally where they're allowed to do that because they're not using real minors. You just took this conversation to a really disturbing place. Thank you, Mike. Well, but I'm saying so. <laughs> th- there, but you know, you know. Because you just got back from one of those trips. You know that there are places in the world you can go 
where there are no questions asked. For the right amount of money, you say, I want this, you will get that. Yeah. We don't want to talk about it. Uh, I believe Thailand is one of those places. I don't want to paint with a broad brush. <laughs> Thailand, New Jersey, you know, it's... Canada. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's... And, and Westworld, <laughs> I mean... Are you kidding? Westworld, Westworld would be one. Of, could be one of those places, right? Wouldn't that if you're catering to the super rich who can't get their desires at any normal place that they go to, and especially now when you do have things like Renaissance fairs, you know, you could do role play reenactment of the old West and, and shit like that somewhere. Well, what is it they're going to cater to? Delos Animal Kingdom. And my understanding is that right. And my understanding is that the, the the new series is set up to have been something that runs for a long time. So probably be like Disney World, right? In that, well, not that this is where Disney World is now. That it starts out one way, and then changes according to the needs of the customers. Now, in the real world, I imagine that would mean that they would slowly lose the authentic relation uh, uh, experience. You would get better beds, right? You get better food. Uh, maybe they would stop pulling bu- putting bullets in the guns of the other ro- of the robots, uh, just for, for for safety purposes. But in this case, they seem to be ta- you know catering to the tastes of the people who are looking for well, a little bit more extreme those tastes that maybe they weren't considering catering to beforehand. Anyway, um, so yeah, it seemed like Roman World was the popular one because when when all shit goes down, you see a large number of robots beating on a large number of people. Right, right, yeah, and yeah. so that's probably like the hot new world that just opened up. It was the two uh, words. All right, who, who two wants words. who wants Roman orgy? Yeah, I was going to say. All right, who wants to go to orgy world? Raise your hand. <laughs> yeah, who wants to lay back in a toga and be fed peeled grapes and bang Julius Caesar or Cleopatra, whoever you're interested in? You know, it's maybe both you know and that's that's so that was probably the thing it's like for those who don't want to do the app with the effort in the running the jumping the shooting the killing the stabbing but anyway so i don't know there's really isn't it is a very lean film it's not a i don't i don't think it's a short film it's like an hour and 50 minutes no but it's uh it keeps moving right along and uh the setup is kind of slow to get us introduced to the idea of this world where there are robots and such and setting up the idea that the guns aren't supposed to shoot at real people and so on and so forth and introducing our human characters. And then uh, the, the robots start going berserk and from then on out it's pretty straightforward. Uh, and Yul Brenner's just uh, going after that one guy, uh, kind of like the Terminator. Uh, and I actually thought the, the most interesting part of the movie was watching that guy uh, figure out uh, how to get the best of the gunslinger robot. Um, that was my favorite part of the movie. Well, it's interesting. The gunslinger is kind of like a, a zombie, right? That, that it's slow, mm-hmm. but it's steady. It's never going to get, well, it, actually, it will get tired. We know eventually it's going to run out of juice. Yeah, he doesn't um, know that. But he doesn't know that, and he's not going to, and they say they might go up to 12 hours, and most people are going to run out of juice, unless you're a marathoner. Uh-huh. You know, you're going to be running out of juice probably before that robot does. So he runs away and then, you know, has to stop and relax and, and catch his breath. And, and the robot uh, does not. <laughs> although I will say, I don't know if you've ever seen the birdcage. No. Oh, yeah. um, 
in, in the birdcage, uh, Robin Williams is trying to teach Nathan Lane, who is a very flamboyant homosexual, uh, to how to walk like a straight man. Ah. And he makes him try to walk like John Wayne, and then he's still, and then he, Nathan Lane just says, what? What's the matter? He said, nothing. I just never realized John Wayne walked like that. And I couldn't get that out of my head watching Yul Brenner walk <laughs> with his gunslinger. It must be the heels and the boots, right? It must be. It's just, anyway, it was just, it was just weird. Um, but yeah, and Yul Brenner's really awesome in it, you know, and very cold, very, and he, he plays it more than anybody else in the, in the film as a robot. Mm-hmm. Um, where if you didn't know this was Westworld and didn't, and he didn't have the silver contacts, you knew you would know just from his body language that something was a little bit off. Mm-hmm. Um, except for the first scene that he appears, because he just seemed like, you know, that dirt bag in the old west that was looking for trouble. Because he bumps into him and he, and he starts saying wisecrack remarks. But even whatever. that, I think he would have stuff like he would start to move his head and then his eyes would start to move. Um, oh, there, yeah. there was a little bit of, robo- of robotic mechanical movement. Because there's stuff in there that reminded me of Peter Weller and Robo Peter Weller and RoboCop. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not that exaggerated, but there are little things like that that I thought was interesting. And I think, and he, he's just good. He's just got some some great menace. He's unlike you know, he's got a little bit of personality because he's intended to be a bully, right? He's intended to be the guy the the black hat. Yep. Um. And yeah, and then just chase. It's it's a very straightforward game of. So a little bit of cat and mouse, and he's just chasing him down, and it's sort of a nightmare scenario, and it works really, really well. Um, now, uh, that's the thing, but it's it's just interesting because uh, obviously we're we're throwing in, you know, meaning and 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 how people would would act and such things and whatever, but. I'm curious if you think that Michael Crichton just wrote this because he thought it was a cool idea, and he goes, a bunch of robots that you could shoot and bang, and then they all go bonkers and go after and kill you. And, and he wasn't trying to make a political commentary or a social commentary on anything, at least in this movie, because obviously we, we know that that changed, and as, as he um, got closer to um, the time that he passed, he, he had many books that all had subtexts. But the question, since this is a pretty lean, straightforward film, as you said, Eric, um, do you think it was there or made simply to be a, a good blockbuster-type film for summer films to enjoy, or do you think he was still trying to throw some subtext in there? Uh, if there were subtext, it was subtle. It was mainly just meant to be uh, a blockbuster film. And yeah. I do say that uh, it suffers from uh, actually something that a lot of movies in the 70s suffered from, which is just a really bad ending. Because <laughs> they just kind of stop the movie and give you credits. It's like, well, okay, I guess it's done. <laughs> yeah. Not a lot of resolution. Uh, spoiler warning, one person lives. Uh, and the gunslinger dies, and it's game over, man. Right. Um, and no, it's 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 a it's, a, it's a, but it's entertaining up to that. There is look, it's it's it definitely reeks of its time. This is not a timeless classic, right? In that it's you know it's not a film that looks like 
even spruced up that it was filmed it, yesterday. It was it's filmed. Set in, it's set in future 1983. 1983. And in, even by 1983, it was probably pretty dated. Yes. Um, and so and even the action is very kind of dated. And, um, you know, you're not going to be seeing a whole lot of uh, hyper-choreographed bullet time sequences. And um, <laughs> There was and, a dive out of window in Westworld, though. Yeah. And I, even... I, yeah, go on, Mike. I was going to say, even the the West is the isn't the real old West. It's what the what they growing up in the fifties and sixties in the movies in the movies right. would have seen the old West as. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was a combination of, of like the spaghetti westerns and the Hollywood romanticized version of the old West, you know, merged together rather than what the real old West probably was. Right, um, and the same as um, medieval world is very much uh, Errol Flynn and Basil Rathbone. Yes, right, you know, and all yeah. that, and, yeah. and and I'm sure, you know, there was I'm sure Chuck Keston was wandering around in Roman world somewhere. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, now, now, uh, uh, one aspect I did like about the film, and most people nowadays would probably frown upon, and 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 I think one of you just mentioned it that. It, the choreograph thing of the fights and whatever. But uh, I thought the fight between the Black Knight and the Lech, as you call them, Mike, the Lech, um, was was actually one of the best sword fights I've ever seen in a film. And I'll say why. Because it felt realistic rather than staged as you you know we would see in, in most films nowadays or, or anywhere, actually. Because... It was playing it as a guy that isn't really a swordsman because he's just a tourist. Which Trying to figure out how to do it. Yeah, and <laughs> and the the knight who just happened to be a good knight, but he wasn't you know black ops Superman. And I thought I thought it was a pretty damn good suspenseful five to ten minute scene, and I, I I enjoyed it I think more than any of these crappy action films that we saw in the eighties or even stuff like in Game of Thrones, which is good stuff, but but it just felt more realistic. I, I mean, I was watching, I'm going, this is this is how it w- really probably would be. And I thought that's, it was pretty that's cool. That's what I would look like if I picked up a sword and tried to fight. Except he did a couple tumbles, head over heels, and that wouldn't happen. Uh, hey, not for me. Know? Not for me. I'm talking about myself. <laughs> I'm speaking of me personally. I have panther-like alacrity. Now, um, let me ask you uh, this about that because he dies, the the the, uh, the lech, and then what what we happens is, is when Benjamin's character gets over there after he's fleeing from the Yul Brenner character, he um, sees the robot of the Black Knight frozen in like the king chair, but. I'm curious, did that Black Knight just run out of gas, unlike Yul Brenner's character? Cause you guys uh, said I'm that. guessing. Yeah, that's all, that's all I can think of, because yeah. it was probably near the, where the robots were beginning to wind down, I think, at that point. Well, yeah, right. they, they cut the power and had to wait just for the, the battery reserve to run out, but I guess the robots had different levels of battery power. Yeah, all right. that's, what, that's what I thought. Yeah. yeah, and we don't really see a whole lot go wrong with Westworld other than the gunslinger that I, and and the the snake, <laughs> right? Um, yeah. Which can right. we make? Let's make some robotic snakes with actual fangs. Yeah, how much sense does that make? 
Yeah, fortunately they weren't, weren't poisonous copperheads. You know? Yeah, and well, because in the TV series, he has he had they have a sack that they can put venom in, so they can make it a venomous fake poisonous snake. Which makes what? Sense. Uh. <laughs> well, they use it because they capture the guy who's investigating the, the robots, and rather than just pull a boat in the back of his brain, they lock him up in the room with the venomous robotic rattlesnake. Oh my god, that's stupid! So he can be found out in the desert, having died of a snake bite. Oh, jeez. Okay. But that's the kind of thing, right? You mentioned, like, the Incredible Hulk. You know, that's what they would do with David Banner. Yeah, right. Lock him in, and then, you know, the snake would bite him, and then you get dun, 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 you know. And... <laughs> is, it, is it Bruce Banner or David Banner? Or David Banner. Da- David Banner in the TV series. Yeah, that's right. right. They can't, probably for some legal because, reason. Well, because they thought Bruce sounded too gay. It was too effeminate. Is that really it, true? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that makes no sense. Um, uh, no, nobody told Bruce Wayne that. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, kicked their go. ass and yeah. then gone home with his boy sidekick. <laughs> yeah, and then no, 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 one, no, no one told Bruce Jenner that. Well! Uh, well, <laughs> let's move Whoops. on. All right, let's move on. Uh, but, uh, so, um, yeah, so that was cool seeing Broly get wiped out. Yeah, and by the way, for people who bitch about the trailers, they do have the trailer for Westworld on the Blu-ray. Every death in the movie is in the trailer. No, oh, sounds like every a trailer today. Today's trailer. Right. Oh my god! No, but I'm saying for people who say, "Why do they show all this stuff now?" Well, they've been they they've been doing then. it a long time. They yeah. show James Brolin's death in the trailer. Oh, that's not good. I mean, I understand. I mean, okay, fine. You show the 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 Letch's death. Okay, I could get that. And yeah, yeah. You know, but right. no, well, not. <sighs> I, I had an f- idea that Brolin wasn't going to make it through, not because. It was Brolin, but because he didn't get top billing, and Benjamin and Brenner got... Yeah, exactly. So that was interesting, and when I saw that at the credits at the beginning, I was like, oh, that's interesting. So maybe he's not as big of a character as I thought, and sure enough, he gets wiped out after an hour in the film. Um, well, I'm curious, who was the bigger star at the time? Well, that's that. Well, I, it was most certainly Benjamin, because uh, Bre- uh, Brolin didn't really break... I mean, his first really starring role, I think, was the Amityville Horror. Okay, that was a few years. A- that was like four years after. So, so yeah. So he Benjamin wasn't... had been things like Catch Twenty Two, and yeah, and he would yeah, eventually yeah. go on to star in Love at First Bite and uh, Saturday the Fourteenth for you genre fans. Yes, that's right. Oh, um, and the Fourteenth. Oh my God. Yeah, that was a fun. And movie. he directed, and he became a director. He directed, you know, uh, The Money Pit and uh, a few others. But it's. Um, and then what's his face? Yul Brenner was already an Academy Award winner and all that, and a huge yes. star. But obviously, he wasn't going to get the top billing for the because he, he. I mean, the true here because he wasn't a hero in this movie. So obviously, his his role is a little different than. But he but he got top billing. That was Yul yeah. Brenner. Well, that's that's true. Yeah, you're right. Because it was Yul Brenner. Because it was Yul Brenner was the big thing. It was the King and I, which it's its fiftieth anniversary. Uh, yeah. uh, playing Ramses in uh, the Ten Commandments. Yeah, Ten Commandments. Yeah. Uh, playing oh, the, uh, oh, the gunslinger and and uh, the magnificent seven, magnificent seven, which which just had a remake open this weekend. Yeah, and yep. now, and so you have the 50th anniversary of King and I, the remake of Magnificent Seven, and a TV series based on Westworld. That this is this is a weird, weird, weird year for the Ghost of Yul Brenner. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of the Ghost of Yul Brenner, uh, just an interesting tidbit that uh, he died of lung cancer. And he shocked the world back when it happened by having a commercial released 
about six months after his death, uh, starring him <laughs> saying, uh, now that I'm gone, let me tell you, you should really not smoke cigarettes. <laughs> uh, and it was really pretty shocking to people at the time um, yeah. that he was doing a posthumous commercial uh, warning people about the dangers of smoking cigarettes. But I, I think that's a pretty effective ad campaign, yeah, if I do I think say so. Neat. Yeah, and uh, he, uh, interesting about him too that uh, he died. I think either sixty-five or sixty-six of lung cancer from smoking, and his director in the film, this film here, died either sixty-five or sixty-six from lung cancer. You know, thirty years after that. But so they both died of lung cancer at the same age. Uh, interestingly, Michael Crichton and Yul Brenner. So uh, it's unfortunate. Um, yep. Apparently, his son teaches uh, at Marist College, which is who's that? About, uh, Yul Brenner's son. Oh, really? Okay. Teaches. Well, teaches um, I don't remember what he teaches, but he teaches at the Marist College, which is about an hour away from me. Interesting. He, he's actually um, uh, was interesting. Was where he was born. He was born in uh, Russia, right where Korea, North Korea, China, and Russia meet. That's where he was born and raised. Uh, that sounds like a place where you need to be tough. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. I would say so. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think he uh I think he 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 was li- he lived through the the Russian Revolution too. Wow. Well, All right. Yeah, yeah. So, uh but, but oddly, my man card. Oddly his his father was Swiss German and had been a businessman that moved to Russia way or you know all the way in Asia to do business. So he was only half Russian, which was kind of interesting. Uh, uh, for, the, for those who are new listeners to, to, I mean, the, ethnically Russian, ethnically. to the Dark Discussions podcast, uh, this, is, this, is a, this is a unique superpower of Phil's, <laughs> which is to know the, uh, the ethnic heritage of every movie star ever. Um, yes, so uh, just, really just write in a name and he'll let you know where they're from, what heritage they are, with their religious black backgrounds, political beliefs, all that he's got. That it's it amazes me. He's just got because he respects ethnicity unless it's Canadian. Abs- absolutely. Except those damn Canadians. Oh, those bastards. <laughs> uh, well, that's why my, my family got the hell out of Canada. They escaped. So um, I've never heard it described like that before. Oh yeah, you have to. Escape I've never Canada. heard anybody talk about escaping from Canada. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you finally did. <laughs> my my, my uh, father's family escaped Canada. Uh, so why don't we jump? Uh, is are we ready to jump into Future yeah. World? Yeah, let's, let's jump to Future World. Yes. Yeah, yeah because it's a very different film. Uh, even in completely different film, completely different story, um, and, and and they add a lot of stuff to the quote unquote. Um, I mean, mythos, I guess, because the original is just basically a park. Uh, and everything just goes haywire. Well, this one changes it. It makes it like a conspiracy thing. So, yeah, go on, Mike. Yeah, so this is this one probably dates even worse than Westworld because it does the unforgivable sin of trying to be futuristic, and there's right. nothing that looks so bad as people trying to look futuristic. And um, it's a, yeah. it is it is on in the same world, but a completely separate story. It is not nearly as good a story, and there's a lot of places where it's very ham-fisted and very cheesy. But there was a weird part of me that kind of grooved on it, 
Yeah, it was, it's still a fun film. I mean, as long as you can overlook some of the 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 big Jeez. holes. Yeah, well, it, let's let's give the plot description here, which well, is that yeah, it's a yeah, it's a direct ahead. sequel to Westworld in that um, it's the same company that ran Westworld, Delos. Um, they they've fixed everything and they're opening everything back up except for Westworld. Um, and apparently the reason Westworld is closed and everything else got to reopen is because our main character, played by Peter Fonda, uh, wrote a scorching account of the whole situation, uh, but only referred to Westworld as the place that, where everything went haywire. Uh, so they were able to um, open up, you know, Roman world and medieval world without the threat of any backlash from the public, uh, as long as they kept Westworld closed. Uh, and they had a new park called Future World, where you could go into space and uh, and uh, do that adventure for a vacation. Um, and the uh, theory here is that they invite uh, P- Peter Fonda and Blythe Danner, who is a television reporter, uh, to take a vacation um, so they can see that everything's fixed and everything runs smoothly now and give them some good press. Yeah, so uh, let me do a little background of this film. So the, um, Peter Fonda... And Blythe, Bly, how do you say your first Blythe. name? Blythe. Blythe. Dan, Blythe Danner are the stars, as Eric described them. Uh, everybody knows who Peter Fonda is. Uh, Blythe Danner is uh, Gwyneth Paltrow's mother, so for folks who don't know that. Um, and, and an actress, I, decent actress in her own right. She's she's done oh, yeah. a bunch of stuff. Yeah, yeah, she's pretty good. She was she was 33 at the time. Uh, really a, a pretty woman when you really look at it. And... Um, yeah, she she was she was uh, a pretty big actress uh, in her day. Uh, and then uh, speaking of evil Canadians, Arthur Hill, uh, he's a Canadian that that plays and he does play an evil bastard in this film. Uh, then we have uh, John Ryan, who it's a very common sounding name, but anybody who's familiar with seventies and eighties stuff uh, would know who John Ryan is. He plays the scientist. Um, and then uh, you'll no, 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 he plays the evil scientist. Exactly, the evil scientist. Um, and then Yul Brenner has a cameo. And then uh, another actor, Stuart Margolin, um, plays uh, this engineer that um, uh, may know information for the, the reporters. And then um, uh, for folks who like Buffy, um, the robot that was working with uh, the Stuart Margolin character was uh, an actor played uh, by uh, James M. Connor. You never see his face. But I guess he was a big star on uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Um, I'm not sure what role he played on Buffy, but I'm sure Eric and you, Mike, would be interested to, to know that. Um, I'm not seeing his name in the credits here. What was his yeah, name again? James N. Connor. He played the robot that didn't have a face, that hung out with oh, the okay. engineer. And this is like one of his first roles. Was it and Charlie? He played, or? Uh, yeah. Oh, uh, no. It was that Clark. He played Clark. Because it was Clark. named after Clark Kent. Okay. Right, right, the, right. The robot. Um, and he played a recurring role on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah. Uh, it was two episodes. He was scientist number one. On Buffy? Probably season four. On Buffy, yeah. That's it? Yep. Oh, my God. Then they, they over-exaggerated it. <laughs> that's so, how they get you to pay the 20 bucks for the autograph on the convention circuit phil yeah you're absolutely right 
Um, so, uh, yeah, so that's the cast, um, and, and so forth. So, uh, um, but yeah, of course, you know, Peter Fonda and Blythe Danner get there and it doesn't turn out that it's good after all. There's like this big conspiracy going on. I mean, ridiculous conspiracy, uh, not just, um, trying to cover up, um, fuck ups, but they're actually trying to do like, you know, uh, James Bond villain stuff. Well, yeah, and and I guess that's like, well, let's let's get into this because what the f- really? Uh, uh, I mean, before I you mean, begin, Eric, I just have to mention that this movie wasn't Michael Crichton did not have anything to do with. He ha- just happened to be um, uh, the, the based on characters and uh, book or, or movie by Michael Crichton, so he he wasn't a part of it. Yeah, so basically, uh, our journalists are investigating and eventually come to uncover, uh, a, a plot, uh, which is that Delos is getting, <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't say this with a straight face. Uh, they're getting world leaders to come on vacation, uh, and then building identical robots of them to take their place. I guess they've perfected a method of transferring memories from a human to a robot so they build a robot to replace them uh and then transfer their memories uh and then the robot goes forth to take their place and act in delos's best interest um i i don't understand exactly why they need to do this but this is what they're doing well because they're doing it to get good reviews well yeah (laughs) Isn't well, that because a little it's made, extreme. It's, well, no, this is made by people in Hollywood. Uh, this makes perfect sense. Of course, they would kill people to get good reviews. <laughs> they've got, they've already got money and fame and good looks. So, oh, it's, man. Um, well, first of all, let's be. It's like we have to bring all the world leaders that look like they came out of a Scooby Doo cartoon. Right. Let's have Japanese man with camera, Russian <laughs> general. An Arab with sunglasses and turban. You know, it's everyone right out of, like, the stock casting of Cannibal Run or something. They all come out. And, <laughs> right. And, uh, they say well, to the one this, Japanese this, guys, I, no, we're sorry, you can't use your father's sword here. You can only <laughs> use your... Well, because their sword is especially calibrated not to stab people that have a body heat. Right. Yeah, and, how, and how many Japanese people in real life have have a their father's or grandfather's or you know ancestral sword? Probably no one. And this is just stereotype. Yeah. But again, the original was made by uh, MGM, mm-hmm. and this one was made by AIP. And as we know, AIP. Oh God, yeah. Okay. Yeah, they they did a lot of B movies. So this one has right. more oh, of a B movie the, feel. The, the Phantom from Ten Thousand Leagues. Exactly. Oh God! Really? <laughs> yes. Same producer. It, it's oh, there. It's, no. it's there. It was the. It was American International. It was whoever the company that became AIP is what the Phantom from Ten Thousand Leagues. And for those who have not listened to the Dark Discussions podcast, because you're just tuning into Westworld, go back. Last August, we did a fish themed month of of episodes of fish themed horror films, and one of our co hosts picked The Beast from Ten Thousand Phantoms. And it, he has leagues. he has he has many many hail marys to say to be forgiven for that one. Yes, yes, he does. Whew. Okay. Yeah. So so even though this one 
it's definitely more B movie. Um, it still is a, pr- a pretty fun film, uh, but you have to look at it more as a, a drive-in film or. Uh, it's, it's more it's more yeah. of a a, uh, a thriller than Westworld was, and and there's weird thing. First of all, the best part of the film, and well, the two best parts of the film, and I mean best in in a what the fuck sort of way, oh, are yeah, the yeah. are the magic samurai that appear out of nowhere. <laughs> yes. yeah, yeah, that was what. Yeah, that was good. Ta da! Because so, somebody said, oh shit, this is supposed to be 1985. They were, they're going to be really into ninjas in 85? All right, we'll fucking put the ninjas in 1985. Uh, yeah, I know. I, yeah, I got to agree with you. Uh, there was another podcast I heard uh, not realizing we were going to be it was, doing it. It was 3D uh, copying. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They, they used a 3D printer to make samurai as security guards to kill. <laughs> <laughs> and this is this is like the best explanation I can come up with. They didn't even attempt to explain it to us. But the uh, but the the absolute best part of the film. Uh, hey, Yule. Uh, we, how would you like for your final appearance in film ever to be a weird, sexy dance sequence with by Danner, with you <laughs> as the gunslinger? What was it? What his last? Was that his last? That's his last appearance of yeah. film. Uh-huh. You'll get to dance. You'll get to fight. You know, you'll be a lover and a fighter. And it's, hey, he was a song and dance man. I'm yes, was your worst song and dance? Yeah, absolutely. It's just oh god, <laughs> oh my god. It's like because they had to. It's like oh, we got Yul Brenner. Yul Brenner's coming, but we need Yul Brenner because he's he's like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Even though it doesn't make it sense for Arnold Schwarzenegger to keep doing every fucking Terminator film now, they can't make one without him because he's the name. Yeah, right. An alien film with, with Sigourney Weaver, should they have to put her in there because people think name. that's just the attraction? So they yeah. had to put Yul Brenner back in it because he was the poster child. Nobody, if they said, hey, how about we bring back, uh, Richard Benjamin for Future World? Everyone would have said, eh, whatever. <laughs> they had to get Yul Brenner. How do we squeeze a cowboy into this because we shut down Westworld? Can we recycle him into Future World? Could we make him a, a stud in, what was that, Spa World? See yeah. now, if if no. I had been working on the film, I would have had him in storage somewhere, and would have had that janitor dude that likes to play cards with robots uh, reprogram his circuitry to be on the good guy side. Yeah, that, that, yeah. that's actually a pretty good idea. Yeah. And and then Robert Patrick would really be the evil robot, mm-hmm. and he could fight Robert Patrick. <laughs> but but. Uh... Yeah, it, it, it kind of reminded me of, of Jessica Lang in season two of American Horror Story. Yeah. The, the dance sequence that came out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, but yeah. so, yeah. So how about because she saw Blythe Danner sees video security footage of the gunslinger and she gets all hot and bothered in the nethers. <laughs> And we will, we will have we will have a device that monitors her dreams, and you get to watch them as she has sexy time dreams with Yul Brenner as the gold gunslinger. Yeah, right. With these creepy men in red scientist surgical outfits or whatever. Oh, so, oh God! It was. It's just so, and it's like, don't worry, Yule, it doesn't have to make sense, it's a dream, we just need to get you in, this was, this was, no, this was the most logical, there was somebody on IMDB, I thought they said I had a good idea, which was that, um, 
what was it? What was his name? Charlie? What was the? Uh, I said it, I did it again. The, the the robot downstairs. Yeah. Oh, uh, Clark. Clark was oh, that Clark, right? Clark yeah. from Superman. Was that because after the the handyman says goodbye to Clark, they said you see him put his his face in his hands and sort of like cry that he's losing his friend. Yeah. And they said, what if they, he had put his face on and it turns out it was the gunslinger? Oh, that would have been right. Cool. Right. That That's that actually cool. would have been a neat little thing because he has the face off just so it was easy to maintain. And so, yeah, so it makes sense. Here's this model. He was retired, stuff off in the basement. He finds him, fixes him up, makes his little pal. Uh, actually, they did that for an episode of the original Battlestar Galactica, right, where, where Starbuck is stranded on some planet and he fixes up a Cylon to be his robot companion. Um, nerd alert, just saying. <laughs> Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. The, 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 those those are kind of cool little ideas that they could have done. And before someone writes in a complaint, I know it was Battlestar Galactic in 1980, not Battlestar Galactic. I'm a nerd. I'm official. I get it. Never mind. Let's move on. So anyway, <laughs> um, yeah. So that that was that was a curious. Yeah, because you they they pump up Yul Brenner a little bit too, and then when you see his scene in the film, it's like he's in for five minutes, and it's like an acid trip. <laughs> like, um. Yeah, and so the whole idea is just that, right, they want they want the two reporters there to go back. They're going to be they're gonna go they're gonna do the whole Don the full Donald Sutherland, right? They're gonna put mm-hmm. them in the basement with the pods, replace them with robots, yep. send the robots for some reason though, the robots they don't just kill these people in their sleep. The robots have to go kill their originals. Actually scratch that, they're not robots. <laughs> right. I'm sorry, they're not robots, they are clones. No, they're robots. No, they're clones. They said there's no mechanical no, parts. Robots. They that's said there's a, no mechanical that's parts. That's a lie. Then why do sparks come out of them when they shoot them? No, because if you noticed, I, and I was wondering <laughs> the same thing. Well, first of all, number one, hold on, number one, Eric, because it's not a very well-made movie. Uh, it's not a very well-written movie. But the guns that they're using, which look like knockoff Han Solo pistols, even though this uh-huh. is two years before Star Wars, um... When they when everything they shoot sparks, so I'm assuming it's the gun, the bullet is like a little explosive bullet. Yeah, whatever. And that's the reason for it. That's the only thing that they say they're not robots; that they're they're clones. Well, they okay. Lied. So the so the robots make clones. The clones have to kill their original. Why they couldn't kill them while they're cloning them, I have no idea. But it's that's actually part, a good point. <laughs> it's a, I guess it's a rite of passage. Well, we've got right? them here you knocked know? out on the table, unconscious. Should we it's, take care of them now? Nah, it's, let them loose. Let the clone take care of it. Well, it's it's it's, it's basically it's like the it's like the robot bar mitzvah. It's like you have to kill the person you're you're built after. <laughs> Say what? Today you are a man. What? What? What is that? That's not what a bar mitzvah is. Don't worry is, about it. it? No, it's where you where you where it's your celebration. That's how we. This is how you have you. This is your day. This is your rite of passage. This is how you become. I, you I would like to let the listeners. I would like to let the listeners know that none of us are Jewish, so we don't know what we're talking about. So, okay, let's move on to something else. I've got, I've got a couple of bagels on my family tree. <laughs> okay, if you say so, Mike. Uh, you, you, I can uh, guarantee you that yeah. Bar Mitzvah does not have anything to do with killing. Well, it has to do with becoming a man. Um, all right, moving on. Okay. Uh, so. <laughs> you have to read a passage in Hebrew from the Torah. They and have to shoot kill somebody. The- they they have to they have to kill their human their human original. It's a it's just oh, right. a right. Okay, Mike it's a symbolic act. 
All right. But, so, yeah. <laughs> so the, the clones have to kill, kill their originals. Uh, so there's, there's a scene where Blythe Danner's clone is trying to kill her. Uh, and in their confrontation, it's pretty clear that Blythe Danner Prime actually wins and kills the clone. Um, but then there's this whole fight between, uh, Peter Fonda and his clone, and they're wearing the exact same clothes. So at the end of the fight, you're really not entirely sure which one was victorious. Um, and I thought they did a pretty good job of, uh, keeping that up their sleeve until the very end. I would agree with that. Now, here's the thing. So he's a, they have the scene, and this is the only thing that really makes the film an interesting thought to me. Because on the, on the surface level, it's greedy corporation that wants to bring the people in to kill them and turn them into robot clone slaves or replace them with that and so that the evil corporation can run the world for one million dollars or whatever, you know, the whole... <laughs> well, and it was weird, too, is that Arthur, dollars. Arthur Hill, who was supposed to be the, the face of the company... Was a robot himself. So right. was, he, was he human once too, and they killed him off, and they replaced him with a clone. So he would... see, and this is where, for me, my mm. backstory, the my fantasy version of this movie, spinning off of where they came from, Westworld. Because Westworld, we know the robots are making robots to make robots. Right. Is that the whole corporation has sort of been taken over, and this is the robots taking over, sort of trying to take over the world. Well, and I think that's kind of what's implied. Well, that that I, I don't know that we're supposed to believe the doctor is it the is it that the robots are taking are they implying that the robots are taking over the world and not just evil corporation is using the robots to take over the world? Well, I think the robots are taking over the corporation and the corporation is trying to take over the world and thus the robots are trying to take over the world. Okay, so you're with me on this. So maybe that's something they intended to imply instead of just accidentally stumbling into it. Uh huh. Okay. And then, yes, you get the final shot of them leaving. We just skipped over the entire movie until we get to the end. Well, and we it's okay because it deserves that. Yes, because there's a lot of silliness in there with, 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 with robot, uh, what is it, Rock'em Sock'em robots, right? You know, it's, you well, yeah, I mean, well, that's the thing. The movie is to have a lot of set pieces that aren't necessarily part of the Steen plot. on Mars. Yeah, so... In so five in red. <laughs> so you can, you can you know, yeah, well, that was the thing. I was saying, oh, they were saying, oh, but the snow's red. And I'm like, oh, that's going to be cool. And then when they show them skiing on Mars, it's just, it's just tinted, tinted film. It's right. like, what the hell? That wasn't red. Amazingly, oh. all their clothes came red, too. Yeah. They could have yeah. done it with yellow snow. That we have on Earth. So, so um, some of the things in the film were just trying to sh- show the quote-unquote reporters that everything's okay. Again, though, you know, that, that may be a problem in the long run for the plot because the plot was the reporters were going to be taken over by robots anyway. So they didn't even have to show them that it was good. I don't know. It was just... Well, there's little that? things like... Yeah. That, that was when, their excuse for getting them there. Right, yeah. like... With them going down down below to find, you know, they find the human guy with his robot companion Clark, uh, and are saved by by the, from the the magic samurai robots. Um, and then they come by. Oh, there you are! Don't go wandering off like that. All right, I won't go wandering off like that. 
Look over there. Wonder, wonder, wonder. You know, it's just <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Off he goes. It's like three seconds later, he's sneaking off again to go see the guy he just snuck off to talk to a minute, you know, two minutes ago. Gee, they'll never look to find me here again. Oh, right, right. Well, and, and, you know, nowadays in, in 2016, everything, all these big corporations have cameras and, and oh, yeah. sensors everywhere. So you couldn't even get away with what they were doing, uh, today. Um, so, and, well, yeah. I mean, there is a theme here about, you know, paranoia. This is the 70s, and, and this was a week. Yeah, it, we was, it, was, it was, Mike, it was uh, the year, the same year as, as uh, the Donald Sutherland film, uh, Invasion of Body Snatchers. That was 78. That was, no, that was, that was se- oh, I thought that was 78. They were both 78. Oh, they were both 78? I thought this was 75 for some reason. I thought it was, oh. yeah, let's look at it. Yeah, let me look at the, uh, the uh, date here. 76. Oh, all right, all right. So, but either way, it was the same time frame, right? You know, right. But this is a period of time where, like now, we we don't give a shit anymore. Or at least most of us don't seem to give a shit anymore about the robots in the factories. We've kind of made peace with it. But I remember right. in that that seventies and early eighties, there was a lot of resistance to machines doing people's work. Right, because it. it makes people unemployed, gets rid of the working class jobs and poverty and so on and so forth. Right, and unfortunately we haven't, we, the world leaders are not replaced with robots. We, we, those ones are real that are there. Um, yeah, that's unfortunate. Yeah. And, uh, and, and you, what do you have? You have the humans. They only keep the humans around to do the dangerous work. Uh, the wet, the wet spots. The wet stuff. Yeah, work in the work. <laughs> the humans are being employed for menial labor by the robots to do to clean out the plumbing, anything where there might be water that might electrocute the the robots. So, I mean, there is a little bit of of social commentary there that I think is a little bit more relevant than the old ah, we're the evil company trying to take over the world because this is the easiest way to make a lot of money. Is by replacing the world leader with super expensive robots. <laughs> Instead of, and you know. And we're doing it so that we'll get more people to come pay for vacations where we have <laughs> these robots already. Because if we can get the president, who will be in four years, will be Ronald Reagan. If he can come to, come to Future World, then everybody will come to Future World and we make much money. <laughs> oh, wait, hold on. Sell the robots to the United States government to make an army? Shit, that would be a whole lot easier, wouldn't it? We made a shitload of money. I thought, oh fuck. Oh well, well, we're already committed to the whole robot replacement thing. No problem. We'll just keep going with that. So, uh, so oh yeah. shit, they shot robot and worse a dot. It's a, it's a little more silly. Uh, well, well look, actually, but, actually, it's it, put this way. In, in all honesty, the only thing that connects the two is is that. Um, it's it's robots that are, are there because this right. film is is the only, again you know it's they just took an idea or a successful film and they somehow AIP somehow got the rights to it and then they just made their own script and, and said let's go this way and right. and such so they're, they're but almost, in, but but in fairness if we took out Peter Fonda and put in Austin Powers it would not seem any less appropriate. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. That, you know what? That's that's a fair yeah, point because, baby. because it reminds me of. It really does remind me of those those Dean Martin or or James 
Coburn, James Coburn, is that his name, right? James Coburn? Yeah. Yeah. Um, spy spoofs from the 60s. And, and yeah, we're, you're, you're kind of like that. Yeah, you, you were about a, you were about a half a step away from robot women with, with machine gun movies. You're right, exactly. Yeah, that's, we, that's we weren't there close. quite yet. We were still just on the red snow. But we were close. Cause, I mean, we had the game show guy. Right, that, that he's right. our regular guy. Is this guy who wins a trip to Future World, all expenses paid by some weird game show at the start? Throws out the dice, and you win. You get to go to Future World. So I, I yeah. think he, I think his fate was a little better though, because I don't think he got killed like in everybody in the first film. No, because it, it's a normal person. Do we replace him? No. Who gives a shit? The guy's a loser. He was on a game show. We need him to come back and give us more money. That's right. Uh, tell, all his, tell all his wealthy friends that this place was great. I'm a postal worker. I don't have wealthy friends. No, <laughs> just kill them. Well, 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 well the, the, the houses that you drop the mail off of. Yeah. They're, they're all mansions. Let, let um, the robot whores fuck him to death. <laughs> Well, and there was there was there was Spa World, right? And there's a, I don't think Spa Spa World. They're they're really getting this is the Disney betraying the the concept, right? Like how it betrayed the concept of, of Epcot and from education right. to, and this is the relive the authentic experience of the old West and Rome and the medieval world. And it's like, oh fuck it, here's Spa World. Don't fuck spa. your brains out. Here's a brothel full of robots and right? uh, Future World, which is an authentic future. No, we don't have any idea how this works. You can, and no, and and how are you making the zero grav? Don't ask questions. It's we're we're pretending it's zero gravity. Just everybody moves slowly, and it'll, it's zero gravity on Earth. Ooh, okay. Oh, yeah, Spa Spa World, where where they've cured aging, and here take the magic potion of youth, which is laced with shit tons of LSD apparently, and right. and. And they and oh look and they look they into the into the fountain of youth and oh look how young we are yeah you think you're young and wait until you try to do things that you were able to do when you were young you'll feel that shit in the morning. Now, oh. um, now, Mike, uh, let's, let's let's get into um, uh, I guess the the synopsis at the end um well, let me ask you this what, what what was arthur hill's character was he do you, i guess it doesn't really matter we're probably thinking too much into the film oh yeah definitely you're putting more thought than they did yeah yeah <laughs> right uh so all right let, let, let me let me start from here so basically what happens is before they head Blythe, Tanner, and uh henry fauna head to do their reporting at the Delos worlds. Um, he meets this this guy that wants to give him a story about what's really going on at Delos, but he gets killed before uh, Henry Fonda can get the information from him. And then we think that part is kind of like was a dead end, but then he meets this engineer um, that, like you said, one of the guys that works where water is because the robots can't do that that stuff and he's willing to talk and he used to work with this guy that got killed and um he knows i I don't really know exactly what he knows but he can at least bring fonder and and blythe dana to 
areas of interest anyway, I guess. Right. He's, he, he has the ability to, to, well, in the end, he's going to be able to smuggle them off, but they, he gets them smuggled into the, uh, helps them break into the secret facility where the, the baby clone robot things are made. Right where the where they manufacture the new, uh, not James Brolin, the new uh, Peter Fonda and the new Blythe Danner. That's right. Um, and so that they can get rave reviews, and they see them making the new uh, Russian general. Right. And, and and programming them, you know, programming. You shall do everything Delos tells you. You swear obedience to Delos. All hail Delos. Cobra, right. you know it's all, and uh, and so and so that's the, the the handyman. In addition to being the the displaced worker who's losing his job because of the robots, but he's not a racist because he has a robot friend. <laughs> right, Clark. Uh, uh, you know what? If, if Clark had been the gunslinger, that would have been awesome. That would have been awesome. That would have been a cool idea that Yul Brenner just his own his cameo was was he puts the face back on and it's right. Like, yeah, yep. that would have been pretty cool. Yep. Uh, and I guess Delos had never heard of lobbyists. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. All you, all you need to do is, is pay money, and these politicians <laughs> and reporters will just <laughs> take it. It's, it's why they have to do this James Bond scheme. You know, I mean, come on. Every friggin' politician is owned by Wall Street, as they say, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. Hey, come on. Jeez, they're already zombies. <laughs> now, I'm, now I'm really faking this movie. It was stupid. It was kind of stupid, but you know what? It was, it was, it was, fun. It was fun. some cheesy fun. Yeah. Um, uh, there were some particularly it's, rough it's, scenes between uh, a Blythe Danner and uh, Peter Fonda. It was just like, oh, my God. Ugh, oh, really? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. She, she's like... Get away from me, you pig! I want you. Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, they, yeah. Then later, when they, they they go back to the hotel room, and and she go, he goes, yeah, I got to show you something. He goes, oh, fi-. she goes, oh, finally. And then when they he brings it to her somewhere else, he goes, she goes, oh, that's not what I wanted. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's an interesting little love thing going on there. That uh, yeah, it was funny. Yeah, it was it was weird. Cheesy, be sure. Yeah. Um, all right, so let's, let's talk about the ending. Um, yeah, I was kind of surprised when it was like a robot conspiracy to take over the world. When I, I was expecting it to be similar to the first, except where they were going to um, just try to cover up the fuck up. And instead, what it was is it was a try to take over the world type of thing. Um <laughs> Yeah, yeah, so. I, and I I kind of liked what I mentioned earlier though that you weren't really sure about Peter Fonda at the end of the movie whether he was a clone or not uh, until the very last second when he when he turned around and flipped off the head scientist guy. Uh, I was like, okay, that was kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was a you know it was a cheesy little uh, stupid type of thing, but it was also kind. of Cool, I would agree. Um, let me add Mike back. We lost him. All right, let me, let me pause the recording until we, for a second here, pause it. So, Eric, you were talking about uh, Peter Fonder in the in the flip. Oh yeah, just I just I thought uh, 
first of all, they did that was like the one of the few good things they did in this movie is making you really unsure of uh, whether Peter Fonda at the end was was his clone or the original uh, for about ten minutes there, and then eventually uh, he turns around and flips off the scientist dude, and you realize he won, and that's the original Peter Fonda, and not his clone. Um, so I like that moment, even though it was cheesy as hell. Well, and again, it's the he he gives flips him off, and Jen jumps into a slow moving tram. <laughs> You'll never catch me now. I'm on the tram. You are you don't have control over a multi billion dollar global corporation. There's no Back way you could shut the tram down. Well, you I certainly I, don't I, have walkie talkies to communicate with control. I I figured it was because he was out in the open now because it wasn't behind the scenes. I guess because then if they took him out or arrested him, I guess they could have still done something. And said, "Oh, we have to arrest him." You know, there was a disturbance. We had to grab the guy, mm-hmm. and they could. And so any bystanders, which there was hundreds of them, would have said, "Oh, uh, oh, all right, we'll buy that." Versus, well, yeah, I'm, yeah, it was stupid. And I'm going to go out to the world with no evidence whatsoever and tell them all that you've replaced world leaders with clones and they'll believe me and put a stop to you. Yeah, that's a fair point. Yeah. But either way, that's how it ends. So it ends almost as if Peter Fonda and uh, Blythe Danner are able to escape to tell the world what is going on. Even Even though I'm sure they were assassinated before they got back to town and... Yeah, anyway, yeah, they, they called was also assassinated, and the takeover yeah, continued unabated. The, the hovercraft that they were on, unfortunately, <laughs> blew up on the desert somehow. We don't know why. <laughs> it had an unfortunate malfunction. <laughs> at, by at, least, at least Kevin McCarthy in Invasion of the Body Snatchers had pods. It's like, he had the pods. Look, pods. There are people that will come out of these pods. Right. What do they have? He, Peter Fonda has nothing. He's got... Well, Blythe Danner will back me up. Tell him socks. <laughs> I told you how much I love those red socks you're wearing. It's like, oh my god, somebody got paid to write this. Oh, <laughs> <God>. <laughs> so, so, so it, it was a um, obvious a cash in for um, the original. Uh, the original yeah. again was a big MGM film. This one was AIP, a very uh, a more independent theater production company that somehow got the rights and said, let's, let's make a film, uh, get some pretty decent uh, B-level actors uh, that were you know, somewhat famous and um, make a movie, and, and that's what they did. So, um, yeah, I, I would say watch Westworld. Yeah, it was a great film. And if you like Westworld and want to see more with more cheese... Watch Future World. Well, if and that's, you, that's, if, that's if you, if you that's didn't the, like Westworld, don't even bother with Future World. Well, and that's the problem with Future World is, as a B movie drive-in film, it's 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 good fun. You know, like a lot of the Screen Factory and Code Red and whatever DVD Blu-rays that are all being pumped out of the, all these films. But because it has the name Future World and it's linked directly to Westworld, it always it'll most certainly always get compared to that, and so most people go. You know, this isn't what I was expecting or I was hoping. So, 
Yeah. That's uh, like a lot of sequels. Uh, a lot of sequels have that problem, which is if they weren't, like, if they were called, you know, uh, some other name like Joe's movie, it may have actually been considered more fondly remembered. Right. Like yeah. say, oh, I don't know, Blair Witch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> That's a fair, that's a fair uh, assessment, Mike. Yeah, exactly. So, so um, I think we all enjoyed Westworld more than Future World. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was, was that your first time uh, watching Future World, Mike? Because I know Eric. Yes, it was. My, it was. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And right now, folks can actually watch that one uh, for free if they're subscribers of Amazon Prime. Future World. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a heads up. The other one you, you can rent. Um, for a, a few dollars off of um, iTunes and Prime and all that. I know um, there's a Shout Factory version of Future World. I have no idea what the extras are. It was uh, not one of their special editions, so it could just have been trailers. You know, it's, right. um, But I, I would hope that with the new Future World TV series um, that somebody would try to get a collector's edition or a better edition if there's anything to this uh, there was, again, there was a five or six episode Beyond Westworld TV series that followed this, like two or three years later, 78 to 79, and that's on the Westworld disc. It's probably the best feature on the Westworld disc other than Westworld itself. Uh, but that's that's even cheesier than Future World. Um, well, I'll say, I'll say this. Um, uh Finally, uh, after so many years, uh, the film Chopping Mall, um, which is a Lionsgate film, uh, was given off to the rights for uh, a smaller company to put it out in a special edition uh, Blu-ray coming out. So maybe someone will do that with uh, Westworld um, or, or or something like that, because it's um, definitely a film that... I think, especially if the TV series is, is good, maybe MGM would would do what they did with the Alfred Hitchcock films, which is um, fill it with a bunch of stuff, re-release it, and, and try to cash in on it. Yep. Well, I think what they're doing with the HBO series is very promising. Um, I think they're taking it in an interesting direction. I think uh, unless whoever does their trailers is a magical mastermind, uh, I think I'm going to enjoy it more than the original movie. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no doubt. Because, again, the original movie was, was an hour and 39-minute um, uh, summer film uh, with a lot of really cool set pieces and action and whatnot. But I think this one here is going to be, this TV show is going to be um, a combination of the movie Westworld as well as as Mike said, Ex Machina, the movie. Mm-hmm. So it's going to have a lot of interesting concepts uh, that they're going to talk about. But you can also see that it's going to have a lot of um, action stuff or, or thriller stuff in it, too. So I think it's going to attract a large audience um, just for that fact. So, mm-hmm. But is it going to have Ed Harris... Swinging Evan Rachel Wood around with a red ribbon between his teeth. <laughs> we can only hope. Right before he makes sweet robot love to her. That's what I want to know. <laughs> Dolores Abernathy. Played by oh, Evan Rachel Wood. Love. <laughs> uh, oh, the uh, love that shall not speak its name. 
<laughs> anyway, um, so so yeah, that's uh, this is our first episode. Uh, hopefully, we didn't get off track too much, but I mean, you, you know, sometimes with the second film, the Future World film, it was hard to stay on track because of the cheese in that film. But I think generally we um, pretty much got a general consensus that that these these um, this this Michael Crichton story is is very interesting, something that. Um, a lot of people will probably like uh, um, HBO is, is definitely putting a lot into it. it. Has a lot of good people behind it, um, and I think, think anybody who's listening to this podcast probably at least got some good insight into the history of Westworld, at least on a um, not necessarily a historical level, but at least uh, a film viewers level. And um, I, I would think that we would both recommend. Uh, or I should say the three of us would recommend that people should at least definitely check out Westworld, right? Yeah. Westworld is a good film. There is some cheese to it because it's dated. No question. Future World is a bad film. (laughs) That that is cheesy fun. Um, And I've gotten to the point in my life where I don't find a whole lot of fun in bad films anymore. This is one I was able to have fun with. Um, Right. So... Uh, if you can get it on Amazon Prime for free, that's the best price for a bad film because you can turn it off and not feel guilty. <laughs> right. And I have yeah. a feeling that the Westworld TV series is going to be uh, to the original Westworld film sort of what the Battlestar Star Galactica reboot was to the original Battlestar Galactica. Oh, God, I it, hope so. Yeah. Yeah, I could that, that would rule. I just hope they know what the hell they're doing, unlike Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. Well, you know what? I'm, I'm thinking because the showrunner is a screenwriter and a pretty damn good screenwriter. I, I think I think they they may and and. Um, well, so, because it's been held up in production for a year, they've had even more time to think about it. So hopefully, they have it plotted out for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, as long as they still, uh, you know, in the credits, it all, it always says uh, an idea created by Michael Crichton. I'll be happy. <laughs> oh, I'm sure the lawyers will make sure it does. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely, and they better. Yeah. So, <laughs> all right. So uh, let's do our final thoughts uh, uh, for our uh, um, preview of the HBO Westwood series by going back to its original roots. Um, once again, this is, um, bullets, brothels, and bots, the Westworld podcast. Um, so Eric, uh, let's give our final thoughts for tonight. Westworld movie, good. Future world movie, cheesy. Westworld series, we anticipate awesomeness. Very well. Um, I concur with all those things and, uh, anything that Michael Crichton had his hand on originally has to be pretty damn good um at least for the premise so let's let's hope uh nolan and the rest do the same and uh yeah uh based off of uh the things that have been leaking out recently anyway uh it's mostly positive so uh looking forward to it and uh, hopefully everybody who's listened to this will uh, rejoin us next next week for our discussion on the first episode of the h series uh mike yeah, I think um, I, for those who have listened to the other podcast, I am 
as open and willing to accept a, a reboot, remake, reimagining as anybody, especially, and I think this is a perfect case because you're dealing with a story that originally touched on human interaction with, and relationship with technology. If you hadn't noticed, that's changed a little bit in the last 40 years. Um, and that means that it's it's kind of ripe for a new take, a new interpretation. And it's we've got A-level casts and talent behind it. And the original is great for what they were able to do in their time. And it was a fun film for what they were able to do in their time. I wouldn't say it's a classic, but it's a, it's a good film. And certainly the, the gunslinger is a classic image in Hollywood. So I would certainly recommend that. I would certainly recommend that you watch the HBO series to start, whether you do it through a subscription or H through HBO Now, or you just let some, borrow somebody's passcode for HBO Go. They don't seem to care. Most importantly, I expect that you're going to tune in to listen to the Bullets, Brothels, and Bots podcast, whether or not you watch Westworld, just yeah. to keep up to date. Excellent. Yep, very good. So uh, uh, we'll try to get the episode out um, every Tuesday or Wednesday, depending on uh, time and editing. And uh, But it will be cons- coming out consistently each week. Uh, during the season. Uh, so we'll have another 10 episodes based off of the 10 episodes of, of the series, and then we'll have a, a wrap-up episode after that uh, before we go on to hiatus until next season, assuming uh, it is picked up as a show. And uh, folks want to check out our other podcasts, uh, uh, Dark Discussions podcast and You Know Nothing, Jon Snow, a Game of Thrones podcast. And we are located on www.darkdiscussions.com. And at the bottom of every page are links to uh, the email and all that good stuff. Um, and and all 270-some-odd all episodes are, are available for free on the Internet. Yes, yes, exactly. So uh, we don't charge any money. I know some podcasts charge money for their um, older episodes. Uh, but we, we have all episodes still available from five years ago up to p- present uh, for both podcasts, this Jon Snow and the Dark Discussions podcast, um, for free, all on uh, iTunes, Stitcher, or at the w- website darkdiscussions.com. And this podcast will be exactly the same. So. And you can go all the way back to the very first episode for free and listen to it and finally answer that Bernie question, who the hell is Gordon? <laughs> That's true. Yep, someone that disappeared. Um, all right, so uh, with all that stated, I guess, uh, Eric, uh, uh, give us your little wrap-up and lead us out. All right, thanks for tuning us to the inaugural episode of Bullets, Brothels, and Bots, a Westworld podcast. Come back next week. We'll start talking about the first episode of the HBO series. You came back. You know if I could stay right here with you, I would. Just sometimes I feel like the world out there is calling me. Bring yourself back online. Do you know where you are? I'm in a dream. You're in my dream. I designed every part of this place. It's not a theme park, but an entire world. You and everyone you know were built to gratify the desires of the people who pay to visit your world. Just don't forget, they're not real.
what you and I do is so complicated. I need your help, Dolores. I think I made a mistake. So our creatures have been misbehaving. I think there may be something wrong with this world. No choice you ever made was your own. You have always been a prisoner. What if I told you I'm here to set you free? I wouldn't say that at all.